0: Once, Kwasasat had ruled a land of rivers and lovely valleys, its forests verdant, its plains abundant with crops, but that had been before the casting of certain incautious spells in a war with threatening Melnibone, more than 2,000 years earlier. Kwasasat's empire had been lost to both sides. It had been engulfed by a vast mass of sand which swept over it like a tide, leaving only the capital and her traditions, which, in time, became the prime reason for her continuing existence. Because Quazasat had always stood there, she must be sustained, her citizens believed, at any cost, throughout eternity. Though she had no purpose or function, still her masters felt a heavy obligation to continue her existence, by whichever means they found expedient. Fourteen times had Ami's attempted to cross the Sighing Desert to loop fabulous Quazasat. Fourteen times have the desert itself defeated them? Welcome friends to Breakfast in the Ruins, a Michael Moacock flavoured podcast. If you tuned into our end-of-year musings a couple of shows back, you'll have heard Loz and myself talk about what we were likely to cover next. As it happens, we surprised ourselves and decided to plough straight back into Elric, just not with the book that we'd had our eyes on. No, instead, we thought it high time we covered something that, back in our salad days, we found slightly more challenging than our usual Mocock fur. After spending the 80s reading all of the Elric back catalogue, as well as various other Eternal Champion entries, We each experienced a similar surge of excitement with the release of an all-new Elric novel—one that, much like *Revenge of the Rose* before it, slotted neatly—or not so neatly, depending on which editions of other books in the series you had to hand—into the Elric sequence between *Elric of Melniboné* and *Sailor on the Seas of Fate*. Sequentially, then, this is a kind of, sort of, direct follow-up to *Elric of Melniboné*, so it makes some kind of sense that we would pick up the doomed emperor's trail with. The Fortress of the Pearl. Also, this show sees the return, after quite some hiatus, of The Journal of Gerard Arthur Connolly. Wayne, aka Nan Soundtracks, has been beavering away and we've been messaging back and forth to steadily build the quality of what originally started back in mid-2020 as a fairly lo-fi attempt to put my scribblings in an audio format with some cannibalised bits of music to add a bit of atmos. As regular listeners will know, Volume 2 of The Journal, i.e. Chapter 8 onwards, had a marked improvement in quality thanks to Wayne's mastering and his scores, and Chapter 11 will debut at the close of this show. Chapters 12 and 13 are close to completion already, and they'll follow in the coming weeks, and that will conclude the audio version of Volume 2. But that's just our side gig. This is, after all, a Mococ-flavoured podcast, and today Elric is our subject of choice. So, join Loz and I in Derry and Tom's as we indulge in some truly brutal tinctures, and some rather nice ones, and catch up with Elric during his gap year in The Fortress of the Pearl, book one. Well, we're only back in Derry Tom's. Back in Derry and Tom's with Oz. Hello, Oz. Hello. Hello. We've just had some rather delicious... Caribbean food. We have. We're already three or four um, random pale ales or but, IPAs. But, but in... nice ones, I think. Nice ones. Yeah, yeah. And we've also had some kind of Cloudwater cherry tonka and chuckleberry sour share of beer. Yeah. Which was slightly more
1: hard work. I think it was a, a slightly sour beverage for yeah. me. It was a, a Gaviscon
0: chaser on that one, I think. Yeah. Did you have your Gaviscon chaser? No, I didn't bother. Fortunately, I take Lansopra's over <laughs> so... <laughs> So, it's that already. The gift that keeps giving. <laughs> I'm already inured to <laughs> these things. What are we here to do today, Loz? Oh, we're discussing Fortress of the Pearl. We are discussing Fortress of the Pearl. And interestingly, notwithstanding the fact that we actually kicked off this podcast two and a half years ago with Dreaming City, the last book we did, Elric, was with Eric of Melanie It was indeed. So actually, doing Fortress of the Pearl means that we're simply carrying on in narrative order. Yeah. But... Just by chance, just well, by then, chance, then good judgment. I think. Yeah, and weirdly, Fortress of the Pearl was written in 1989, which yeah, is, I've got the 1990 version. Yeah, which yeah. is like 28 years after The Dreaming City, and yeah. approximately 16 or 17 years after Elric of Melniboné. Sure, that was written in 72.
1: Yeah, that's that's about right, I think. I, yeah. It's weird, because on my version, which I was discussing earlier, it says the first new Elric book for over a decade.
0: Mm. Because I honestly can't remember exactly how the Panther editions went, Panther Struck, Grantham editions went in the 1970s when they were all collected together. But a lot of them were merged, reordered. Um, So what would the last Elric novel you would have written be before that in 1979? I don't actually know. Maybe we've got our times all mixed up. But anyway, it's written a long time after Elric and Madden In the eighties. So eighties yeah. Elric, if yeah, you will. Certainly. Yeah. So the version I'm reading from actually is the Golanx edition from a few years ago. And this one has the is the copyright 2013 revised version. Ooh. Mm. Interesting. So you're reading the original version, I'm reading the yeah. revised version. Mine's the Grafton one.
1: Mm. A division of HarperCollins for yeah. all those people who are remotely interested. And it's got that
0: fantastic cover. It is the brilliant uh, of cover. Of the city, yeah. Quazasart. 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 We'll get to that in, in, in due time. So, yeah, I'm um, very excited for this one because I haven't actually read it since the early 90s.
1: No, neither have I.
0: Mm. So that's quite groovy.
1: For various reasons. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was just about <laughs> oh. to say. Fair disclaimer. <laughs> Fair warning. Yeah. I didn't like this book. Neither did I. At the time. No. So revisiting it has been a really uh, cool experience, although we probably should say, because we're extraordinarily slow at reading (laughs) and talking about these things, and it's very, very handily split into books one, two, and three, much like some of his 70s content, that just allows us this evening to talk about book one. Book one, five chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it five clear. Five fairly lengthy chapters though. Yeah,
1: they are a lot longer than usual, aren't they? Because mm. normally it'd just be Elwick oh, has a cup of tea, wears a kilt, yeah, kills a few people. Drinks
0: some breakfast wine. Yeah,
1: moves on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's there's a little bit more going on in these five chapters than you would normally get in a in one of his sixties or seventies kind of health a for leather, forward driving, propulsive
1: I, th- I think it's sort of a massive like paradigm shift this one cuz it, mm. it kind of I I kind of have the Elric books split into kind of three kind of buckets like yeah. you've got the the original ones which are really pulpy and you yeah. really short stories but punchy yeah. and then we had the the middle section which I think is Fortress of the Pell and Revenge of the Rose. Yes. Revenge of the Rose I really love and then you have the new the, the Last Beam Roads trilogy, yeah, which yeah, we, we we'll touch on at some point. But I think yeah. uh, this is the first time for me that Elric was kind of rounded a bit more. He was rounded in yeah. Elric of Melnibone, yeah, but I think he definitely rounds
0: him a bit more in this. Yeah, I've I've got some thoughts about how Elric's portrayed in this that we'll get into, but also the way is portrayed and how it fits with the narrative if you were to come to these books cold and read Elric of Malniborna and then go straight into Fortress of the Pearl, mm. rather than the way we did it back in the day, which was probably fairly patchwork in terms of the older books, but yeah. then pick up Fortress of the Pearl after we've read the bulk of the yeah, definitely. I mean,
1: The thing, if you've read, read Stormbrier and then go back, its a, it's a bit of a... It adds a bit of poignancy, though, to some of the writing, I think.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. And we know that Moorcock over the years, has revised certain parts of these novels. We talked on the last show with Dave about the revi- revisions to The Dreaming City, about Elric's garb, which was terribly disappointing to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but also the revisions that have taken place that I've checked out fairly quickly from reading the new saga press editions is that at the beginning of sailor on the seas affair i think originally there was a reference to him having left Rakir and co at the end of elric of Melniboné a, a few weeks ago yeah so it never quite sat right that Forge to the Pell took place in the gap between Elric at the end of Elric and yeah. Bel and the beginning of *Sail and the Caesar of Fate. But that's actually been revised now to say that he's been out in the world a much longer period of uh, time. Right, okay. Sadly, because Mocock is in his eighties now and we know he's got he's got a citadel of forgotten myths, whatever it's called, I can't remember, coming up later in the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Had he had enough acting in him to write a lot more Elric stories, what he's done there with extending that timeline. And actually, it would fit with some of the ways Elric talks and some of the portrayal of Elric in terms of his world weariness in this yeah. book. He could have probably fitted in another half dozen novels in that gap between Elric and Where's that it? one set, then? The new one. The new, I don't know. I don't know, but it, it fits. I think, from memory, it fits between volumes one and two of the saga editions. So it's is... still, still knocking about the moon glum. Right, okay. So I think it's pre Burn of the Black Sword and Stormbringer, it's post Vanishing Tower. Oh, right, okay. I might have the wrong way around. So it sits pretty much slap in the middle of that 70s Panther range, Stroke Grafton range of Elric yeah. stories. Yeah, so it's, yeah. and he's with Mungung. Right. Still. Okay. Yeah. Quite excited for that. A Moacock novel, which is a pure pulp Moacock novel and not one of the moon moonbeam. moonbeam Road Trilogy. we'll get to these eventually, probably in thirty five years, yeah at our current pace, yeah, and by that time we've we'll forgotten who Mark Cook is That's so we'll just be like, yeah,
1: just repeating the same thing, but recording it obviously, yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah. so yeah, a really, really fascinating look at a book which historically for both of us, we weren't particularly fond of, no, so very interesting rereading it and revisiting it now. With, uh, with all the years that have gone by. And, and I think in, in my case, probably, I had to admit how old I am, but it might be 30 years since I've read this.
1: Yeah, so if mine's 1990 and I would have nerdily bought it then, yeah. yeah, I am 100 years old, so that is, you know, 30
0: years. Yeah, a practicality we need to get out of the way is our past few shows, we've done the Wandering Hideous Beers table. We have, yeah. But on this occasion, we've decided to mix it up a little bit and we're going to do beer matching yeah, so we're going to match a bit. Yep. We've read the first five chapters, which comprise book one. We've matched a beer to yep. each chapter. We still have some pale ale in our glasses. We do we have to sling down our gizzards before we uh, before we yep. get into it. So, chapter one, which um, frankly is mostly Elric lounging around like a sweaty fop. Yeah, we have yep. chosen Dynamo, Merlot, Barrel-Edged Imperial Stout with dates and vanilla. And this costs ten pound ninety five for this small bottle, and it's eleven percent wow. by volume.
1: But I think the uh, the dates uh, fit quite nicely with
0: Quaz. Yes, it's a good job we filled up on that Caribbean food. Yeah, before we kicked off. Otherwise, we might have been in bother. Yeah, so it might be. Apologies, a very short, it's got a
1: bit of a head on it. Short podcast where we all just like, eat hot scratching. Mm.
0: Well, we will definitely eat more yeah. scratches at some point as well. So, first of all, the aroma, the nose. It smells like all of these fucking imperial stouts and porters.
1: I think it's a, yeah, I think the, the, they're always a cross between chocolate and bovril. I yeah, think. yeah, there's definitely yeah. a
0: touch of bovril, there's definitely a touch of dog food Jar <laughs> Jardox. <Jarred dogs. laughs> <laughs> yeah, <jarred dogs. laughs> I wish you could still get jar
1: Yeah, docks. I do, just because I've never tried it. Yeah.
0: Um, I suppose for the sake of the listeners, when I worked oh. in a psychiatric hospital in the early 90s and I used to work nights, I used to live on toast and jar docks because the hospital kitchen on our ward had certain things which were kind of standard stock for every ward, which was almost out of date, sun-blessed white bread. Brilliant. Axel grease-style margarine in massive one kilogram tubs. Mm-hmm. Custard creams, barbon biscuits, and jadox. Oh, and tea and coffee, of course. Yeah. But Jardox, and Jardox was like a strange Bovril substitute. And of course, Jardox is a play on words. And I think I'd stopped working. It was 10 years since I'd worked at the, <laughs> the hospital before, the penny dropped on, on what that actually meant. But it was like a weird, runny, Bovril substitute that worked great as a Bovril drink, but also was fucking fantastic on toast. So yeah, lived on it. And ideally, wish I could still get Jardocks.
1: So so we've got the Bovril Jardox paradigm. Bovril
0: Jardox dog food camp paradigm. <laughs> dog food, yeah. I'm getting yep. dog food. Right. <laughs> Cheers. Let's get into this. Um, not as horrific as I expected, but it might be hard work. <laughs> To drive it down. Oh,
1: good God. Yeah, yeah. it's a, a syrupy quality. Yeah,
0: it is slightly syrupy. Anyway, so to, to take my mind off that, I'm going to read the, uh, the opening. I wonder if it's yeah. the same opening. Yeah. I'm going to read the, the extract from The Chronicle of the Black Sword first, and you can read along and see if there's anything different. Yep. And when Elric had told his three lies to Simaril, his betrothed, and had set his ambitious cousin Yacoon as regent to the ruby throne of Melnibone. And when he had taken leave of Rakia the Red Archer, he set off into lands unknown to seek knowledge which he believed would help him rule Molnibiné as she had never been ruled before. But Elric had not reckoned with a destiny already determining that he should learn and experience certain things which would have a profound effect on him. Even before he encountered the blind captain and the ship which sailed the seas of fate, he was to find his life, his soul and all his idealism in jeopardy. In Ufik Sormir, He was delayed over a matter involving a misunderstanding between four unworldly wizards who amiably and inadvertently threatened the destruction of the young kingdoms before they had served the balance's ultimate purpose. And in Filcar, he experienced an affair of the heart which he would never again speak about. He was learning at some cost the power and pain of bearing the black sword. But it was in the desert city of Kwajasart that he began the adventure which was to help set the course of his weird for years to come. That's exactly the same. Well,
1: what I was saying was the, um, in Ufric Sormier. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to read that. Yeah, I do. I that would be cool. That sounds quite exciting. And the Phil
0: Carr love experience. Yeah. A couple of nice little scenario scenes yeah. there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm. But so- I, I on the before we start obviously reading it, I do think rereading this, it does remind me very much of a role-playing scenario. Yes. Totally. Absolutely. Um, and we will come on to that, I think, because it is. I think when I read it, it was similar, but rereading it, it's like almost holy crap! You know, yeah. you could make that into a game straight away. Yeah,
0: it would be a very railroady game.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, but
0: but all of Moorcock's stories, particularly the ones that are about quests, which most of them effectively are. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't take long for this one to get into quest mode. No, no, good. have. Um, Happenings, the odd random encounter with a beastie, which we get. Yeah. yeah. And um, the odd Deus Ex Machina to get him out of trouble. Yeah. And then ultimately, because, you know, there's something of a mystery set up when he gets the quest, which we'll get to. Oh, yeah, totally. But actually, he has no agency in how he gets to the specific stages of that. They'll just happen to him.
1: Yeah. I mean, he could do. We'll
0: get into it. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, we'll, we'll get to part one and then. Obviously, we get to my thing I hate most about fantasy books. Yeah. Uh, we get a poem. Oh. Which I will read. Read the poem. Is there a madman with a brain to turn the stuff of nightmares sane? And demons crush and chaos tame? <laughs> Who'll leave this? <laughs> Sorry, I'm deliberately doing it. Like that, but... <laughs> it's, it's on the door. <laughs> <worry>. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll start again. No <laughs> what? Is there a madman with a brain to turn the stuff of nightmare sane and demons crushing chaos tame who leave his realm forsake his bride and tossed by contradictory tides <laughs> give up his pride for pain? Now for me, I'm not an expert poet. No. I've written lyrics in the past. Uh-huh. You know, I've done a bit of... English lit in my in my years. It's a bit literal, isn't it? Yeah. From a poem. And the Chronicle of the Black Sword sounds a bit of a shit book, I think. Yeah. You've got the lovely bit before, which is still part of the uh, Chronicle of the Black Sword. Mm-hmm. So you've got that bit you've just read, which yep. is quite a nice bit of prose. Yep. And then, A up, who's writing the poetry for it? Yeah. You know, is, have you got Dave in to do it? <laughs> Who is it?
0: Well, I think it is a, it's It's very much trope in fantasy, but I also think it's quite a more cocky trope as well. Which is why, if you recall when we played Dirk's Moon game... Yes. ...I made my character the Banneret of Tanelon a really bad poet.
1: Yeah. which, which And one? I even
0: came up with shit poems. And I don't think I got my due credit... No. ...for actually putting that much of effort.
1: Because I, I think you were just, like, you know, overshadowed by my portrayal of the character.
0: Yeah. Who just wore a lot of hats. Yeah. 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 And I think that's fair. Ideally, they should be combined... Yeah. yeah, it's quite hard work, isn't it? Let's get chapter one out of the way so we can potentially get something better. Oh, God, it's horrible. Okay. So, chapter one, A Doomed Lord Dying.
1: Which I, I think is really lovely written. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of exposition in there around Quaz Hazat, yeah. which is how I'm going to pronounce it now. <laughs> After a few more of these, it might be more... It <laughs> a... yeah. might be Sean Connery doing it. Yeah, But some lovely prose, really good description. And gives us a bit more background on a bit of the Sian Desert and the Young Kingdom yeah. that we. The Sian Desert is just like a really good name, isn't it? Yeah, Moorcock said in the past, didn't he? Think of two words, join them together to make something really evocative, and yeah. that was part of his um, not how to write, but what mm. was it called? But it was, it was a good yeah. point, wasn't it? Yeah, he yeah. used it quite a lot in this. Yeah, I think so. The Sian Desert's got a bit more mythology around it, a bit more depth. Which oh, is there's good.
0: some really cool kind of uh, world-building, particularly in Chapter oh, yeah. 2, yeah, which yeah. makes it feel really vibrant and alive. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. to that. But um, So it kicks off. It was in lonely Kwažasart, destination of many caravans but terminus of few, that Elric, hereditary emperor of Melnibon, last of a bloodline more than 10,000 years old, sometime conjurer of terrible resource, lay ready for death. The drugs and herbs which usually sustained him had been used in the final days of his long journey across the southern edge of the Sion Desert, and he had been able to acquire no replacement for them in this fortress city, which was more famous for its treasure than for its sufficiency of life. The albino prince stretched slowly and feebly, his bone-coloured fingers to the light, and brought to vividness the bloody jewel in the Ring of Kings, the last traditional symbol of his ancient responsibilities. Then he let the hand fall. It was as if he had briefly hoped the Arcturus would help revive him, but the stone was useless while he lacked energy to command its powers. Besides, he had no great desire to summon demons here. His own folly had brought him to Quasar's heart. He owed our citizens no vengeance. They indeed, had caused to hate him, had they but known his origins. It was a good setup. Yeah. So he's in Quasar... Qua... Quasar's heart. I'm going by
1: the... because I've been listening to the audiobook as well. Yeah.
0: He just says Quasar's heart. I think Quas- Well, that's Quas- cheating, that. mate.
1: That's what? cheating
0: if you've got an audio book to refer to.
1: Well, exactly. That's why I can pronounce some of the names. Uh, I yeah. thought it was Eric for ages. <laughs> yeah, it was disappointing. Well, we know it's
0: really Eric of Maryland, though. Yeah. Don't we? yeah. So he's in Quas-a-sat. Why? Did, how did you say it? Kwazizat. Kwazizat. He's in Kwazizat. Okay. He's down on his luck. I think yours is probably better, but we'll go... Yeah, whatever. Yeah. He's down on his luck. He's got no dosh. He's out of herbs. He can't even afford water. Yeah. A young lad, an eye who found him in the desert is looking after him in the hope he can get something out of the situation. I think it's looking after him in inverted commas, isn't it? Yeah. So, thinks there's something in, yeah. in it for him, doesn't it? Yeah. And he's very much drawn to the sword Stormbringer as something that can be sold for influence and power. What I, what I love about it,
1: that. This whole chapter, I mean, it does give a lot of well-building in the first kind of two or three pages, but Elric comes across as a, I don't know, quite an interesting character. He's, he's there, he's got this little lad who's kind of looking after him, and this guy's been brought up in this strange culture where they've got a certain view of history, haven't they? Mm-hmm. And he's just quite. Wry, isn't he? And, yeah. and Elric, you know, in, in other kind of stories, especially in the earlier ones, possibly have lopped his head off, sucked his soul out, and yeah. then gone for a ride on a horse for a bit. Yeah. He? He's quite moral in this, isn't he? Mm. I think.
0: I, I think that's a reflection of the fact that he's quite early in his career. Yeah. In yeah. Inverted commas. Well, he's not the white wolf, is he? He's not the white wolf. But there's, there's a flip side to it in that, although this is quite early in the Elric timeline, Mocock feels like he's leaning quite hard into the doomed relationship between Elric and Stormbringer, yeah. which really develops as the saga goes on. And it yeah. isn't really that well developed this early in the story. Certainly not in Sailor on the Seas of Fate.
1: No, but he, they're, they're talking about there's a piece where they talk about Stormbringer. Yeah, that, where he he's basically an ally saying, Can I sell your sword in the market? That's right, yeah. Which yeah. is really good. A really good piece, I
0: think. Yes, yeah, it's really cool. It. So the boy gasped and drew back almost regretting his suggested bargain and says, is it alive? And it says, Elric contemplated his sword with a mixture of loathing and something akin to sensuality. Some would say it possessed both a mind and a will. Others would claim it to be a demon in disguise. Some believe it composed of the vestigial souls of all damned mortals trapped within us once, in legend, a great dragon, which said to dwell inside another pommel than that which the sword now bears. Of course, that's a reference to the dragon and the sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To his own faint distaste, he found he was taking a certain pleasure in the boy's growing dismay. Have you never looked upon an artefact of chaos before, Master and I? Or one who is wedded to such a thing? It's slave, perhaps? He let his long white hand descend into the dirty water and read it to wet his lips. His red eyes flickered like dying embers. During my travels, I have heard this blade described as Ariok's own battle blade, able to slice down the walls between the very realms. Others... As they die upon it, believe it to be a living creature. There is a theory that it is but one member of an ancient race living in our dimension, but capable, should it desire, of summoning a million brothers. And that's a bit of foreshadowing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear it speaking, Master? And I will that voice delight and charm the casual buyers in your market. And a sound came from the pale lips that was not a laugh, yet contained a desolate kind of humour. Yeah, which is
1: cool. I think the the other bit as well is um. And I kind of gives a bit of background to Quasaza, doesn't he? Where he's saying uh, this is like that story on it's Massa Boon's walls, yeah. whatever that is, yeah. and he's saying uh, this is what those who brought about our isolation were said to wield. The mm-hmm. leaders bore identical swords to these, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Now he's talking about Stormring is at least ten thousand years old, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But then um, the bit I thought was quite interesting was. Says Elric regretted frightening the boy. I'm not deposed, young and I, to maintain my own life at the expense of others who have offered me no harm. Yeah. Yeah. That's slightly different when he's older. Yeah. And he says, I, I would not kill you. And then um, the young lad says, Oh, master, thou art dangerous. And it's in like an incredibly old language, isn't it? Yeah. Which is even older than Melna No yeah and 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 he's talking about it's it's only used by the thieves' camp in the in and it's older than both. What's the language called? It's called Opish, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's just I think you had to like loads more kind of background and and world-building this, yeah, this chapter. I think it's brilliant. Yeah,
0: it's and the, there's, there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot more dialogue in this. and particularly, Yes. Yeah. Actually, each chapter, the stacks of really fantastic dialogue where the world is established by characters talking to each other. As is,
1: opposed to puzzle exposition. Or yes. Or just,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. And don't get me wrong, I really, really like the way he, he builds environment and, and sense of scene, in his earlier books, but this feels a lot richer.
1: Yeah, he, there's a lot more depth to it, isn't there? Mm. I think before, yeah, you know, I think you said the same thing. You, you could sum it up in a couple of sentences. Yeah, It'd be like, you know, yeah, the city of screaming statues
0: or whatever. Yes, and that will be it. And you yeah. go, oh, that
1: sounds nice. And it's a very kind of, cool description. Yeah, yeah, you'd probably build yourself around it.
0: Yeah, and I think whilst it's it's a really great way of of developing his writing, developing his character. It's obviously 20 years later. He's already been writing things like Byzantium Tim and Dewars by this point. He's, he's written it's... Gloriana. He's a much more sophisticated writer. I think he's written Mother London by this point.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so he's returning to a character after quite a long period of time. But I do I do think if you were to read this immediately after the end of Elric of Melniboné where he's happily in the pub having a drink with Rakia and going, Ha 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 yeah. it's gonna be brilliant, my gap year and then yeah. straight away you're into Ugh. yeah yeah. because <laughs> ultimately it is Elric's gap
1: year, right? yeah. So it shows like what a naive buffoon he is for yeah. a start. So he's basically going, Oh yeah, we we've discussed this at the 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 other book. Mm. Yeah, what I'm gonna do, is it's gonna be ace. Yeah. So Simmeril... I'm just bogging off for a bit. Yep. You just hang out with your cousin who actually fancies you, which is a bit weird. Yeah. And then the guy who tried to uh, throw me off the throne, I'll put you on the throne, yep. and I'll come back with lots of yeah, you know, groovy knowledge yep. after me gap year. Hang out with people, yeah. come back with some great ideas.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yaku might be a massive tit, yeah. but I'm going to put him on the throne because, you know, it's a, you're a woman. Yeah, so yeah. I like, can't put you on the throne. Yeah. But don't worry, I'll be back in a year I'm yeah, in yeah. a really groovy time. Just keep... A cereal cafe in yeah,
1: yeah. for a while. Just keep keep pretty. I might go surfing. Yeah. yeah I'll come back probably with some magic mung beans yeah. or something. And um uh, <laughs> maybe a sitar. Yeah.
0: And then we'll, we'll just hang out. and yeah. be groovy. But oh yeah. no. Yeah. We get straight into it, and uh, he's he's close to death. He is close to death. Musing on a terrible situation. Bad also, logistics. Yeah, right. and also, of course, we learn that um, the history between Kwajasat and Melnibone is that they had a uh, enormous war sometime in the past.
1: Yeah,
0: Quasar cast some kind of crazy spell, which turned everything to desert. Mel-Nib- yeah, but that's,
1: that's what's great about it. Yeah. What, I, what I love about it is, so, so the, as you said, there's that war, Quasar. It basically describes it as one sorcerer. I can't remember his name. Probably yeah. Derek or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, cast a a bad rune. Yeah, you don't want to do that. do yeah. you? you're in the middle you of You fucked the wall, up, Derek. You you crack, yeah, yeah. It's the yeah the equivalent of wearing the wrong hat at the party. Yeah. So he did he did the bad rune, and instead of because I think they were trying to basically provide some protection around the city, really, yeah. and he fucked up and turned everything to desert. Yeah. So that's that's what Elric believes. Yeah. So that's like the, the kind of historical paradigm in, in Mel Nibbe. Yeah. Nibbunay. And then you've got the Quaster, which was like, yeah, it was the uh Mel who did it. Yeah. It was their fault. Yeah. They, and they, uh,
0: but but uh, we defeated them ten thousand yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah
1: that and that's I love that. It's just the fact that it reminds me of certain aspects of Imperial Britain wave is going Absolutely. Hooray Yeah where it's like whose
0: narrative Yes, oh, you going right.
1: to believe, and it's that redacted history thing. Yeah. Yeah, 1984, let's rewrite history. Yeah. But, it, but I really like the fact that you've got two opposing cultures, but they're both written own history. In yeah. But we, we're on the side of Elric, so he's the main character. That's right. But who's say he might be wrong. Yeah. But he's yeah. not.
0: Anyway, Elric's close to death. Yeah. He's been musing lengthily on a situation. He's hanging out with an eye. And I can't get him the herbs to help, but some mysterious bloke turns up and feeds him some restorative elixir. Mm. But before that, I know.
1: think I think you've got an a an eye. Sorry, mm. Master Anai. Mm. Basically, after weeks crapping about Stormy, eh, mm-hmm. he goes, "Oh, you're a dream thief." And it goes, yes. "Yes, I am. Well, a dream thief. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I am entirely <laughs> a dream thief. Yes. Didn't I not mention that before? Yeah. Yes. He hops on his phone and yeah, giggles dream thief. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly you can't get a reception in Quas <laughs> So he's like, Oh shit. i am just got to, to like it. Yeah. We've all done it. Yeah. You know. Yes, yes, I'm a dream thief. Um, so yeah, so then after that, and who is a bit of a chancer. Because yeah. he, he, he wants to rise up in his culture, he wants to get on, Yeah, he? Yeah, he's he's a good little capitalist. Mm-hmm. He's he's there. He goes, All oh, right, your dream thief's nice one. And uh just the man. And that's where we move on to uh
0: Chapter 2. Yeah, well, there's some, some geezer turned up at the end, doesn't he, and gives him some restorative elixir. But, of course, there's an angle.
1: A richly clad man. Yes. He has a bit of a dream there as well, doesn't he? That's right. Yeah. So yeah. He,
0: this guy turns up giving the elixir, and he, he claims to be Alric of Or
1: Yes. So he's pretending to be,
0: yeah, one of the beggar thieves. Yeah.
1: But I think the, the other thing that I think Mokok was trying to set up and well, I think what Mokok meant to say... um. In that chapter, he was trying to build the relationship with Cimarill a bit more because mm-hmm. it's a bit one dimensional. The relationship, yeah, Cimarill, she's well fit. Oh, you're brilliant! Yeah, yeah. we, we oh, rode horses together, we, uh, we, had halters, we, we made gentle love in the uh yeah. grass, probably, yeah, probably, sand. Pro recited bad poems, yeah, I would have thought, yeah. yeah, just that kind of when you get a, a really bad kind of sequence of a film where you've got a you you've got a condense relationship to about ten seconds of yeah. film and it's just people laughing yeah. over prawns or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> laughing <laughs> oh, over yeah. The, the open-throated choir <laughs> <laughs> you get, hitting a bum note. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, people being tortured, that kind of stuff. Yeah, traditional Melderbone fair. So I think he's trying to build 'cause he's he's talking about Cimarle quite a lot in this, and he's like, yeah. oh the one reason I don't want to die. So when I go back and see Sim- Simrel, yeah. it'll be Ace. Yeah. She's the love of my life, apart from that mysterious woman mentioning the Chronicles of the Backsword piece Peace. in the prologue.
0: Yep. We don't know who it is. No. If it's a she or a he. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do we also find out in Chapter 1 that little bit about um, the Council of Six and one yes. other?
1: that's in the first kind of few pages, isn't it? So yeah. it talks about... Quarasa and how the politics are set up, and basically it's quite disparaging about them. Yeah, but it's supposed to be the most beautiful city, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally subtle. And it, I think there was there's one bit in it where it was talking about there was the fountains, which it costs more to have the fountains running. So no, that was it. They could use that water to actually grow crops, yeah. but instead. They use it as fountains and canals to make the city look beautiful. Yeah. So basically it's that aesthetics of a substance, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it says, In better health, Elric would have relished the city's monumental beauty. It was a beauty derived from an aesthetic refined over centuries and bearing no signs of outside influence. Though so many of the carving ziggurats and palaces were of gigantic proportions, there was nothing vulgar or ugly about them. They had an airy quality, a peculiar lightness of style which made them seen in their terracotta reds and glittering silver granite their whitewash stuck up, their rich blues and greens, as if they had been magicked out of the very air, their luscious gardens filled marvellously complex terraces, their fountains and watercourses drawn from deep sunk wells, gave tranquil sound and wonderful perfume to her old cobbled ways and tree-like avenues. Yet all this water, which might have been diverted to growing crops, was used to maintain the appearance of Quazisart, as she had been at the height of her imperial power, and was more valuable than jewels, its use rationed, and it's theft punishable by the severest of laws.
1: Yeah, and the, there's either other bit of that, because that's really some ace well building as well, but also he was talking about, um, so Elwick's own lodgings were in no way magnificent, consisting as they did as a chuckle bed, straw-strewn flagstones, a high single window, plain air, earthenware jug, et cetera and a basin containing a little brackish water, hmm. which cost him his last emerald. Yeah. So it shows how like, how, how kind of expensive water is. And yeah. they're saying water permits are not available to foreigners, and the only water on general sale was quasi-single most expensive commodity. So it's talking about this, like, you know, water, it's a bit like June, isn't it? So yeah. You've got water being the most precious thing, but then they decide to just use it to have fountains and... Canals and stuff, yeah, which kind of sums up the vacuousness of Kwazazak, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it's it's a bit like Arakeen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Arakeen, but even more stupid. Yeah, a stupid version of Arakeen, yeah.
0: And it's ruled by this council of six and one other,
1: it's the council of seven, isn't it? But yeah. they're called the the council of six and one other, yeah, not even just one, one other, yeah. So basically, he just said, "quasi they're just greasy these, politicians." Yeah, it just not said them. the whole culture is basically trying to do one-upmanship on yeah. other people, isn't it? Yeah, but I think I think it's in the first or second page, which which was quite. It just reminded me currently of possibly our country. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, a bit yeah. Of politics
0: yeah are, are just greasy politicians jockeying for position. And we find that in, in a little bit in chapter three once the quest is underway, yeah. which is quite
1: hilarious. It is. So So basically, yeah, the quick version of it was. Meanwhile, the city's chief obsessions, somewhere say her chief industry, were the elaborate intrigues amongst her rulers. A republic, albeit in name only, and the hub of a vast inland empire entirely covered by sand, Quasaset was ruled by a council of seven, whimsically called the six and one of them. Yeah. And uh, my favourite bit is a vast inland empire entirely covered by sand, yeah. which if we we know having read MoCock and read interviews with MoCock, that's got to be a, a thinly veiled synopsis of England, you would yeah. have thought, and yeah. the British Empire. Not even a... It's not a subtle metaphor, is it? But it is... No,
0: uh, and I think in the future when we get to book two and maybe three that are even less subtle yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, allegories from that perspective. But we get into Chapter 2 anyway, and we meet the person who sent him the elixir who wants to commission him as a dream thief. Indeed. To do a job for him. Yeah. And that's Lord Go. Yeah. So in honour of Lord Go, we have chosen our beer match from Chapter with Lord Goat is Vault City... Blackberry, blueberry, blackcurrant, chop chip, cookie dough, modern sour. At eight
1: percent. Could you actually like lob any more things into that? I'm not sure.
0: Let's find out. Maybe we could stick some fried plantain in it. Yeah,
1: or beef? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: but uh,
1: oh, I not want expect it to look like that.
0: If you got, if you got some some beef stock kicking around, we could drop it in there. I've actually. got some bovril, probably. All right. Cheers. Yep. It yeah. smells as typically. I'm going to try and be
1: slightly more sophisticated than usual. But This smells of something specific. Some kind of cleaning product? <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. Maybe
0: not. <laughs>
1: One of those things we plug into the wall. Yeah. Yeah, a black currant wall. I, th- I think it smells sort of like some... I, d- I don't know what it smells. It smells... I can smell the blueberry, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it smells like blueberry windscreen wash. Yeah. That's actually really, really nice. It's tart. Yeah, it's good. Well, I actually. like it. Yeah, it's good. I like that a lot. Well done, Lord, Lord go. go. So why did we pick this outrageous hipster sour beer? Lord Go Farsi. Yeah. To give him his full title. Lord Go Farsi. Lord Go is actually a massive hipster tool. The description of him
1: is is quite magnificent. Yes. Um, are you going for it? You go for it. Lord Go Farsi was modishly <laughs> coiffed and clad his black hair and beard were teased into symmetrical ringlets. The long mustachios were waxed and pointed, the heavy brows bleached blonde above pale aisles, and a skin artificially whitened until it resembled Elric's own. The lips were painted a vivid red. He sat at the far end of the table, which slanted down subtly towards his guest, He's back to the light so that he almost resembled a magistrate sitting in judgment on a felon. So, so let's go back to the description. So, we're talking Robert Smith with a beard. Yeah. But, you know, with combed hair. Yeah. So, basically, bleached skin, red lips, massive mustachios. Yeah. He's got bleached blonde eyebrows, yeah. which is quite impressive, and... Just by that sentence of the uh, slanted down table suggests he might be a bit of a tool. Yes. Yeah, I'll it, leave it. I'll let you
0: carry it. Yeah, and he says, Elric recognised the deliberateness of the arrangement and was not put out by it. Yeah, because Elric's yeah,
1: too, well, like, too yeah. cool to he's, be. He's an emperor, isn't he? that, he? He's not going to put up with that nonsense.
0: But he says, Lord Goh was still relatively young in his early 30s and had a pleasant, slightly high pitched voice. He worked plump fingers at the plates of figs and dates and mint leaves. Of honeyed locusts, which lay between them, pushed the silver flask of an elixir in Alex's direction with an awkward display of hospitality. His movements revealing that he had performed tasks he would usually have reserved for his servants. So, it's you know, there's there's often a, a trope in things, isn't there? Like sort of the perfumed, slightly effeminate, overweight, the foppish. Do you see him as overweight in that? It's the plump fingers, yeah.
1: Thing, I th- that didn't kind of cut it with me when when I was. In in my head, he was he was more of a probably thin, slimmer guy. Yeah. But then you read the plump fingers, possibly with massive hands. I don't yeah. Know.
0: But it's it it drives you towards that that there's uh, an old again an old trope in fiction where you get if this had been adapted, there's a strong likelihood it would have been a slightly chubby guy with the red lips, the chubby fingers. Yeah. You know, um, the
1: Baron Harkonnen. Yes. Who's uh, the, the guy who Game of Thrones, the eunuch character? Yes. Varys. Varys. So yeah. the, the
0: he's sinister because he's sure. effeminate, yeah. slightly overweight.
1: But very immaculately dressed.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's. It is a, a bit crap, actually, yeah. Yeah. And whilst I like the idea of Lord Go as a villain because he is a massive twat. He is. But there's. There's, there's something a little bit and and I know there's there's been a lot of time gone by but I think this is quite an old tired trail. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah,
0: I think you're right.
1: Yeah, he's wearing makeup. Yeah. The other thing which we we'll probably will touch on possibly later is the kind of the, the cultural thing as well. So you've got almost Celbridge the white saviour thing mm-hmm. going on, but we'll talk about that later. But yeah. I think I think you're right. It, it's almost a bit of a Let's let's have the villain as a greasy foreigner kind of thing, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it, it has. It's it's like a combination of he's like a, a, a Nero esque greasy yeah. foreigner. Maybe we're Overthink. overthinking it, over-reading Maybe it. Maybe we have just been woke. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, God damn it, Chuck the Wok. <laughs> is that even a thing? I don't know. Wok's the chicken. Yeah, I don't, don't know. know. Well, I, I don't know. But but, um, but he is he is a good villain. He is a good villain. He is a good villain. But he is a bit, he is a bit Baron Harkonnen. And... The thing for
1: me about the villains in Stormbringer... Uh, sorry, in, in the Elric saga compared to, for example, the current saga. Yeah. If you think about the major villains in, in the Elric book, so you've got, well, let's just say Lord goes is one of them. Yeah. He's not really, but he's in one book. Yeah. Yeah. You've got him. You've got Theleb Karner, yeah. who... It was a bit rubbish, wasn't he? It? it was a bit of a it was it was a bit two D. Yeah, he was it was a two D bit of a crap sorcerer, really fancied Yashana, yeah, and that was the whole reason he decided to destroy a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a powerful nerd who couldn't get a girlfriend. Yeah, pretty much, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. so, so it was him, and then there was the not the emperor Pang Tang. What was he called? I can't remember. Theocrat. Theocrat, yeah, can't remember his name.
0: Mustache well, and villain, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Yeah. Johnny Foreigner.
1: Yeah. No, it, and the what the one thing about the Elwick stuff was that the, the villains were always quite mediocre yeah. in a lot of ways. Obviously yeah. you had Ariok and you had all
0: the other people, yeah. but, but we, we see later on with with some of the subsequent chapters that the cast of characters in this is very diverse. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of yeah, totally, yeah. We have our first black almost companion. Yeah, again, yeah. almost. Almost. And he, he was a good character. I Great think. character. But the one who wears makeup and is slightly fat. And yeah. Anyway, you know what? We've probably dwelled on that a little <laughs> bit. But what, one thing that really leaps out at me, when I was reading it, I thought, has this ever struck me in any other Elric books when I've read, is the practical issues of Elric wandering around with Stormbringer at his hip? Mm. Right? Whenever you hear the descriptions, it talks about the great sword Stormringer. When I see the imagery of paintings, he's always holding it. It's always fucking enormous. It's a big sword, that. But there are references in this to where he has his hand on the pommel or hilt when he's talking to Lord Go. every time he wants to get kind of be passive-aggressive. Yeah. There's a bit where Stormringer murmurs against his hip. It conjures this image, which I find quite amusing, of Elric walking into this grand hall with marble floors, and as he walks in nonchalantly, Stormbringer's just dragging behind, sparking <laughs> and scraping the maple floor. Or um and the next thing he walked into a pub with Stormbringer scraping the wooden <laughs> floor behind him and the waiter trips over it, throwing beer everywhere. Yeah,
1: but he has the I think in in that kind of chapter, Stormbringer's just like props up against his chair, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like, How big is this fucking sword? Yeah. And and why does nobody go? Well f- first of all, your your Lord Go, right? Yeah. You presume he might have read a bit of history. Yeah. He's gone to school. He's going, Yeah, this this guy with like slightly Meldibonian features. He's got like a massive black sword that keeps like kind of murmuring. But kinda of rings a bell.
0: What, yeah.
1: what hang on. I mean the the little lad worked it out quite quickly, didn't he? But didn't want to it's almost that thing of delusion isn't it self-delusion of like no that doesn't happen i'll put my hands over my ears it'll be brilliant and and it's that kind of thing but this dude's supposed to be in charge and he's going pointed ears slanted eyes Mm you bony and looking got a black sword seems to be murmuring quite a bit ah
0: but it's fat effeminate and lazy so he probably hasn't read his textbooks. He probably yeah. never listened to his history teachers.
1: Exactly. You know. So yeah.
0: he, he's he's looking at Elric and just in a, from a position of absolute arrogance and supremacy. Yeah, there
1: is that. So yeah. I, I can kind of accept yeah. Logo yeah.
0: being a, an an insufferably arrogant prick.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, the whole Quasar people, yeah. the guys in charge, are all arrogant buffoons. Aren't yeah. they? But I think we we've we've missed one really important point. Honeyed locusts. Mm. Don't know about you. Not massively keen on that. As a Jerry,
0: speaking, I would always say that I'd try out once. Yeah. But, yeah, not necessarily into the idea of eating insects. And I know there's supposed to be a really good source of protein. And some scientists have said that the food of the future, I'm not quite there yet.
1: No, you'd have to probably batter it because we're from
0: Hull. Yes. Oh, fuck it. Yeah. Stick it in batter. Yeah. And pop them on a stick with a popcorn <laughs> sauce. Bob's your own, then. Well, okay, I'll give that a go. Honeyed yeah. yeah.
1: locusts, anyone? I'll have yeah. four. Yeah. yeah, yeah, why not? Got a few oils.
0: Yeah. Okay. Right. Anyway, we don't know. The, the other thing we'll learn, while we're not musing on whether Stormbringer is just unfeasibly, <laughs> unpractically large <laughs> to, to, to wear on a belt. Do,
1: do you think it's a two-handed
0: job? Well, it's. I, th- I think the, the indication is it's, it's a great sword, isn't it? It's yeah. a huge sword, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it changes in size according to the requirements of the appropriate scene. That would be handy, wouldn't it? It would be handy. Yeah, yeah. It would be handy. A cinematic Maybe so. it's not a great sword. Maybe it's just a really great sword. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. great is it?
1: It's yeah. very great. <laughs> yeah.
0: So great. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, we find out that the elixir has been fed as well. Lord goes quite quite happy to tell him that actually, yeah, you're now addicted. And if you don't take it, you'll die.
1: Oh, he's fallen for the oldest trick in the book. So yeah. anybody who's ever written a rubbish story or a rubbish kind of uh, role-playing game, no. what do you need to do? Oh, I've got no player agency. Yeah.
0: What's my motivation? Uh, what, what if You'll my, die if you don't do yeah, it. Yeah,
1: what is my motivation? Oh, you've been poisoned by the dude with the fat fingers. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. There I was, thinking I was all right. I was on top of the game. Yeah. <laughs> thinking I was a dream thief, selling that. But no. Yeah. The elixir, That the, the thing about listening to the, the audiobook, which, as as I said, was cheating, but I read it as well, so it's not cheating, was the number of times somebody said the word elixir really pissed me off. Yeah. I was always willing a different word. Yeah. Lovely drink.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know.
1: Yeah. But, Draft of syrup. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A delicious
0: craft beer. A delicious shot of good (laughs) shot of chartreuse. Yeah,
1: whatever. But it was just yeah. But it was the it's the oldest trick in the book, isn't it? Going, Oh oh, yeah, he's he's bullshitting him, isn't he? He Talking about stuff. Have another one. Yeah. Have another one. Yeah, we've all fallen for it. Yeah. Before you know it. You've been poisoned and you need some kind of antidote. That's right. And um, we have
0: all been there. We have, yeah, yeah. You've fallen for it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Lost Never, dad Cruise loss? Yeah. Oh, Never, again. On, Never again.
1: Never yeah. again. Oh, no. Yeah. Is this really absent?
0: Yeah. He's also using Young and I as a bargaining chip. Yeah, which I think is well, better, Isn't he? Threatening the child. This is uh, Elric could not help considering the irony of this, for, for Mel thought themselves equally above such loyalties and he was one of the few who cared what happened to those not of his own immediate family. It was the reason he was here now. Fate, he reflected, was teaching him some strange lessons. He sighed. He hoped they did not kill him. If the boy is harmed when I return, Lord Goh, if he is harmed in any way, then he will suffer a fate a thousand times worse than any you bestow on him, or our add on me. He turned blazing red eyes upon the aristocrat. It seemed that the fires of hell raged inside that skull. Lord Goh shuddered, then smiled to hide his fear. No, 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 his unnatural brow clouded. Unnatural brow? What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. It is not for you to threaten me. I have explained the terms. I am unused use to this, Sir Thief. I warn you. Elric laughed, and the fire in his eyes did not fade. I will make you used to everything you have accustomed others to, Lord Goh. Whatever happens, do you follow me? This boy will not be harmed. I have told you, and I have warned you. Elric's lids fell over terrible eyes, as if he closed the door on a realm of chaos. Yet still, Lord Goh took a step backwards. Elric's voice was a cold whisper. By all the power I command, I will be revenged upon you. Nothing will stop that vengeance. Not all your wealth, not death itself. This time when Lord Gorr made to smile, he failed. And I grinned suddenly like the happy child he had been before these events. Evidently, he believed Alric's words. The albino prince moved like a hungry tiger towards Lord Gor. Then he staggered a little and drew a sharp breath. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, the elixir was losing his strength. He was like, "I'm up." for... Oh, uh, oh, oh. Oh,
1: the malady passed me the uh, pass me the chair. Yeah. So
0: he he has a a little a little fail there. But yeah, so the scene is set. It, it
1: is, but I think there's some really cool stuff in there. I think you you've got the Quaz has that kind of culture again of the arrogance of yeah. it and the the sheer. Self delusion of of what's happened, but you've you also got the the fact that an eye knows like a, a really old language again. Yeah. He's like, meanwhile, do not trust this fil- filthy creature and make every sensible effort to escape on your own. And no gutter patois here, cried Lord Go, suddenly alarmed. Yeah. Or you both die at once. You can, you can imagine this in a in a film. So you've got this this guy who's super arrogant. Bit of a knobhead. And he's just going, best not to threaten me, Lord, go. Elric returned his hand to the hilt of his sword. And the nobleman laughed. What? Such belligerence? Understand you not, Sir Thief, that the elixir you drink is already killing you. So that's when he finds out it's poison. Yeah. But up until that point, we've read other stories. We know Elric with Stormbreaker can basically wipe out a lot of people. Mm. You've got the Revenge of the Rose, the beginning bit of that. It's all in in kind of present tense, isn't it? And he's just wiped out like thousands and thousands of people with Stormbringer. Yeah.
0: But that's, like, more, that's more a feature of the later ones, isn't it? Because yeah. in the 70s books, in the stories, in the Panther editions, whilst he's got Stormbringer, a fight with half a dozen warriors can still be challenging. And yeah, yeah. Whereas we're at a point with this it's like, if we've got Stormbringer, and we find out in Chapter 3, if we've got Stormbringer, it's like, ah oh, fuck this, I'm just going to kill yeah. a billion people. Yeah. And and you get that in Revenge of the Rose as well. So it's like, the perception of his power level
1: is massively higher, isn't it? Yeah, but I think the the, the way you thing about Elric in this, so so basically, yeah, he's 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 down on his his onions, and he's yeah. he's not he's not doing great. He's had a bit of elixir, but even before that, he's had some food, feeling a bit better. Stormbringer's yeah. there; he's got some some nice clobber on, which yeah. is generally Elric feels a lot better on eating some nice clobber. Yes, but still, if you if you look at the power levels, because Dylan, Dylan my son. He reads a lot of manga, and he reads some of the Korean kind of stuff, and he's always talking about power levels, and he's going, ah, oh, the power level of this character is crazy. And he, he kind of, that's how he judges certain stories, yeah. because if it's overpowered, it's like, oh, this character's overpowered. Yeah. And you think about Elric, he is massively overpowered. So, so basically, this, this guy can contact and summon Ariok. Yeah by killing somebody. So he mm. could kill Lord Go, he's got Stormbringer, he could kill the kid, he could summon an elemental or something like that, but he, he just chooses not to, doesn't mm. he? Because he don't want to go down that path of being that person. Yeah.
0: We also find, don't we, that Lord Go's plan is that he wants the grand MacGuffin yeah, yeah. in the story. Yeah. Which yeah. is the pearl at the heart of the world. Yeah, indeed. So it's just a big pearl yeah. that That's it. Yeah. And it's n- nicely outlined what his mission is at the start of Chapter 3, On the Red Road. Now, for yeah. Chapter 3, On the Red Road, our beer match is, start again, Imperial Orange Sour. A 10% alcohol sour. £6.60 a can. God, we are proper hipsters. We are, Lord God. So, seeing as um, we've, we were on a sour last time, it shouldn't be quite as jarring. That was nice, that was. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's sco- good. It, it maybe got a little bit too sweet when we got down there. Yeah. but I was, I was reaching for the Gavis Gun Chasers on that yeah. one. But some, yeah. Some some very, very nice flavours. And uh, I was starting to regret not bringing back up Lansocrasol, but <laughs> 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 I'm not sure we'll manage. Uh, yeah. Actually, I think Phil did pack me some pills for tomorrow. So I might just have my other Lansoppera's all tonight instead. Yeah, bonus. Um, Right. I'll, I'll
1: be tucking into the Gavisco.
0: Here we go. Start again, orange sour. This will yeah. be the strongest sour I've ever tried, I think. Mean. I'd like to say it, it smells, smells nice. orange. It smells nice, actually. That doesn't smell. That's the nicest smell. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that a smells of... So uh, bad this evening. That's a, it's a nice kind of orangey smell. And for a 10% of that actually tastes really good. But you know, if we allow this to get anywhere near room temperature... It'll taste like special brew with a twist of orange. It's nice though. Mm, it is nice. That's
1: that's a good kind of drink outside in the sun drink.
0: It is. And if, if. you heavily refrigerated, it would be yeah. rocket fuel because you drink it very quickly.
1: You'd have to drink it in shot glasses,
0: otherwise yep. you'd be yeah. utterly shit faced. That is potentially danger beer. Yeah, I like it. All right, chapter three on the red road. So it was that next morning, Elric of Melniboné left ancient Quadrat, not knowing what he saw or where to find it, knowing only that he must take the Red Road to the Silver Flower Oasis, and there find the Bronze Tent, where he would learn how he might continue on the path to the pearl at the heart of the world, and if he failed in this numinous quest, his own life at very least would be forfeit. Lord Gopharzy had offered no further illumination, and it was evident the ambitious politician knew no more than he had repeated. The blood moon must make fire of the bronze tent before the pathway to the pearl shall be revealed. Yeah, and that, that, they,
1: yeah, that's the equivalent of somebody going Yeah, can you can, can you get me the uh this magic pearl? Yeah, yeah wh- where is it? No idea. Yeah. And and that's when it goes back to reminds me back of the the gaming scenario thing yeah. of it's like What's my
0: motivation here? Yeah, I'm going to use it. Follow the green brick road. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Find the orange Mazda. Yeah. Blah blah blah. It will drive you to the magenta ashtray. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Off think... you go. What but, do you need? But, Fifty feet a row. But, but very foot pole with a mirror on the end.
1: Very forsooth, where is the red hat of Pat Ferry? Yeah.
0: Well, the good thing is, the moment he gets out of town, the red road's right in front of him.
1: Yeah, but he does. He does it's pretty he much should... one big arrow. He, he does check the
0: map. <laughs> he does. It's like. It's like oh yeah. It's quite handy, having a map, although none of those things are on it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now, I've got to say, though, I absolutely fucking love this chapter. I really don't.
1: Really? No. Oh, no. No, I really dis. The first two chapters are really, like, I thought they were really well written. This chapter just is, like, right. The first, in my head, it's like, and Michael Moorcock's a great writer, I'm not. But in my head, it's like, ah, oh, how do I introduce a bit of excitement? Right, okay, I'll get some very strange running <laughs> rap do yeah. fire beetle, or yeah. business. And, and that for me is like, it, it's almost like, ah, oh, this story's getting a bit boring It. What do I do? I need to lot loads
0: of shit into it. It'll be <laughs> great. No, I really like it because, number one, it makes the Zion Desert feel like a real place. And yeah, I get It's, it's I get, got, like, a life cycle. Yeah, I you know. get that. Yeah. Okay. It's rats with lanky legs getting chased by fire beetles. Fine. But I, I really like it. And, and let me read these two chapters. Yeah, you right? go for Chapters? Yeah. Sorry, not chapters. Yeah. yeah. Gobble beer all night. Study on. Yeah. The Red Road was well named, dark as half-dried blood, cutting through the desert between high banks, which, which suggested it had once been the river on whose sides Guadrassar had originally been built. Every few miles, the banks descended to reveal the great desert in all directions, a sea of rolling dunes which stirred in a breeze, whose voice was faint here, but still resembled the sighing of some imprisoned lover. The book climbed slowly into a glaring indigo sky, as still as an actor's backdrop, and Elric was grateful for the local costume provided him by Raffiaz Keem before he left. A white cowl, loose white jerkin and breeches, white linen shoes to the knee, and a visor which protected his eyes. His horse, a bulky, graceful beast capable of great speed and endurance, was similarly clothed in linen to protect it from both the sun and the sand which blew in constant, gentle drifts across the landscape. Clearly some effort was kept and was made to keep the Red Road free of the drift which gathered against its banks and gradually built them into walls.
1: I was going to stop you there before, yeah. but I liked it. Don't yeah. you the, the first paragraph, amazing. So you've got this like amazing road, you, you've got the view, the vista of, of of like the desert, yeah, and then you got a paragraph of, of trousers. So, so, so I'm just going to No, yeah,
0: but I I I love one of the things I really really love about MoCock is his love of breeches.
1: Yeah, that that was that was my question, right? Yeah. So breeches, talk me through it. What yeah. what are breeches?
0: Breeches are, are they like breeks? I don't know. What what are breeks? Br- breeks are a type of pant that gather at the knee.
1: Oh, so you are talking your air force? Greeks.
0: I think you're thinking more of Jodhpurs. Yeah. Possibly. So,
1: so, yeah, for me, there's a lot of britches, a lot of breaks. What, yeah. what are we talking here? I
0: don't know. I think maybe I'm just betraying my love for different names for trousers. Well, yeah, but for
1: me, it's like well. What's Elric wearing? You know, how how can I visualize this? What's yeah. he talking about? Well, I think
0: britches maybe are similar to breeks. Well, we I, I would imagine we'll have to Google. I
1: would, I would I would imagine flares. If if you're talking desert trousers. Well, look, f- he,
0: he never said looms, did he? But you I know. think he should. <laughs> I think <Yeah. laughs> Elric was out. There. Right, hang on. Let's 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 just reread this for a second. Elric was grateful for a local costume provided by King before he left: a white towel, loose white jerkin, and loom pants. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. let's just say uh, white jerking and wafters.
1: Yeah, exactly. But then you've got white linen shoes to the knee. Yeah. Uh, what's that all about?
0: I don't mean, know, it's like Dunlop green flash, but yeah. bigger. Yeah, yeah. D- d- but up to the knee. Yeah. They're, they're big
1: green flash. Yeah. And then you've got a visor. We're yeah. talking golfing so, so, visor. So, I
0: explained that breeches are, are a trouser to the knee. Mm. So, I'm technically wearing breeches You are right now. Yeah, you are. I'm going to refer to these as breeches from now on. Well, what about your breeks? Um, I don't have any breeks because I don't Look. have any trousers that are gathered at the knee. Well, <laughs> a t-shirt. Yeah. Pedal butchers. So I on, let's read this. A white cowl, loose white jerkin and wafters with white and green Dunlop green flash. Yeah, exactly. Happy now.
1: Yeah, I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from the visor. <laughs> is it a golfing visor?
0: visor? Well, I don't know, couldn't they? But it's something to protect his eyes against the sun. And I quite like it. And his horse is wearing breeks as well. Because what it isn't is a skimpy goth vest and underpants. Yeah. Like on half of the covers. Yeah, you don't want that. Actually, there's there's a really nice Robert Gould um, picture in Mm. the Saga Edition, which I think comes from one of the American uh, collected volumes, where Robert Gould has actually illustrated Elric wearing this desert gear. It's a fucking fantastic look. I really dig it.
1: But the thing is, if you're you're an an albino, or in my case, somebody burns quite easily in the sun, despite previously having black hair, not now, you wouldn't want to go out in pants and a vest, would you? It'd be a disaster. You'd just be like, you'd be chapped before you went out. You'd you'd be burnt, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. Well, in that case, I think that we should actually, you know, make this a real serious point, that if any Elric artists will listen to this, stop yeah. drawing him in underpants, because it's yeah. just not practical.
1: Yeah, it's it's stupid. Yeah. No, no emperor is going to go out there in his pants and a breastplate. It's stupid, isn't it?
0: Personally, if I was an emperor, I would go out just in pants. Well, I would I, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. stuff. laughs> yeah, so would I. Even though I am a Pursty twat who yeah. burns easily. Yeah. You know what? I would I would have all the money in the world for but, the back, to, I'd probably have, back to 500
1: somewhere. Yeah, I'd probably have some decent factor 50 stuff. Mm. But I'm not an albino, so, mm. you know. How big is the visor? Are we, what are we talking?
0: I actually don't know. I don't know either. Maybe, maybe by I just a visor, I mean a sweet peaked cat.
1: Yeah. Something. Baseball cap.
0: Baseball cap, maybe.
1: Green mm. flash, pair of laughters. Yeah. Bob Jurundis. Either way,
0: I dig it. But yeah. he does get caught up in that cycle of life of um, long legged, lanky rats being chased by fire beetles. Yeah, I'm not having that. Yeah. Um, but, but I dig it. But he he gets rescued by Manag Is of the Yellow Sect of Sorcerer Adventurers.
1: Yeah, Sorcerer Adventurers mm. sound a
0: bit shit, don't mm. they? I don't know. I I might actually start referring to myself as a Sorcerer Adventurer.
1: Yeah, which is fine because but there's no. no
0: evidence that they're really sorcerers or yeah, adventurers. Or adventurers.
1: <laughs> 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 but they're just white yellow, don't they? <laughs> they're just
0: white yellow. Yeah. And uh, we we found out that is and Co are enemies of Lord Ger and a rival sect allied to another counsellor. Who's the other counsellor? Lady Is. Yeah, Lady Is. What's yeah. so she all about? And there's, there's a very nice description. And again, I like Mocock's descriptions of clothes. So this chapter is mad from heaven. Mostly mostly Because there's a lot of it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. The rider was taller than Elric, very thin, with a gaunt dark face and black eyes. His head was shaved and both his lips were decorated apparently with tiny tattoos as if he wore a mask of fine multicoloured lace across his mouth. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, that's good. The spear was not sheathed, and now he prepared to defend himself, knowing that his chances against even so many human beings were greater than they had been against the fire beetles. Yeah, because he didn't do very well against the fire beetles.
1: He's a bit rubbish, right? He was a bit rubbish, yeah. I think he was distracted by the uh, very
0: long legged rats,
1: yeah. yeah, as we would all.
0: And Matt Magus is not a particularly humorous person, and they're saying he's a humorous snobber, doesn't he,
1: really? Yeah, Managis
0: left an expression of mild impatience across his strange face. It is known that your patron, Lord go has promised the pale of the heart of the world to the nameless Seventh, and she, in turn, has promised him the new place on the council in return. We have discovered enough to know that only an exceptional thief could have been commissioned to this task, and Natsukor is famous for exceptional thieves. It is a task which, I am sure you know, all sorcerer adventures have failed in completing. For centuries, members of every sect... Tried to find the pearl at the heart of the world whenever the blood moon rises. Those few who have ever survived to return to Quasar were raving mad and died soon after. Only recently have we received some little knowledge and evidence that the pearl does actually exist. We know, therefore, that you are a dream thief, although you discard your profession by not carrying your hooked staff. For we do know that only a dream thief of the greatest skill could reach the pearl and bring it back. So they still think is a dream thief. But they're allied to another counsellor. They're not into the idea of him finding this. So they're trying to convince him not to do it. There's another uh, amusing reference where they say that um, they all marry in family. So they're also kind of brother and sister and cousin married yeah. in inbred sorts in Quasisharp. So El- Eric's uh, a little bit dubious. And Issa even offers to rescue an eye or even assassinate Lord Goat but Elric's just not, in, not into it. He's not into it, is he? No, because he just doesn't trust him, which is fair yeah. enough.
1: What if Lord, Lord go were assassinated? Yeah. Elric's then, shrugged. I'm grateful for your intervention, man, I guess. I will consider you as as I ride. You appreciate our little time to find
0: the portraits of the power. But before they can actually get any further into it, well, what happens?
1: The foxglove t- turner. Oh, God, the, them, them guys.
0: This, this feels like you're watching the wrestling and people keep turning up on the ramp and interfering. Yeah. So the Foxglove sect music players, they turn up. Which is like probably Benny Hill. Yeah. And they're led by Oled Ailsham. Of course, yeah. Who's slightly more fun than Managis. And uh, they say, oh, no, actually, we're here to protect the Dream Thief. Yeah. We want the Dream Thief to succeed. So, therefore, we will accompany him. And Elric's kind of getting a, a little bit cheesed off with this. Possibly claustrophobic. Yeah, very yeah. Well, it gets even more claustrophobic when the Brotherhood of the Moth turn up. Oh, I know. All in black. So they're... El Sheminis are competing for Elric's attention and the Brotherhood of the Moth turn up and they're assassins and they just want to do Elric in. So Elric's like, well, will you protect me? And they say, no, we can't protect you because we're not able to actually fight each other because we're all basically related. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but what we could do is we could form a circle around you. <laughs> So they can't attack us to get to you. Yeah. At which point Elyrics is like, you know what? Fuck this and charges mu the, the brotherhood of them off and butchers them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's that you get to a stage where Markups will be going, and then these these guys are after Oh fuck! Yeah. You, oh no, there's
0: too many guys now. This is ridiculous. What yeah. should we do? Yeah. Old Elric said you'll be butchered. These are skilled act- skilled killers. Oh, so am I, Master Sorcerer Adventurer. So am I. And with that, Elric drove his horse forward through the startled ranks of yellow and foxglove sects directly at the leader of the Moth Brotherhood. The runesword began to howl in unison with its master and the white face glowed with the energy of the damned, while the red eyes blazed and the sorcerer adventurers realised for the first time that an extraordinary creature had come amongst them and they had underestimated him. Stormbringer arose in Elric's gloved hand, its black metal catching the rays of the glaring sun and seeming to absorb them. The black fell, almost as if by accident, and split the skull of the Moth Brotherhood's leader, clove him to his breastbone, and howled as it sucked the man's soul from him in the very split second of his dying. Elric turned in his saddle, the sword swinging to bury its edge in the side of the assassin riding upon his left. The man shrieked, It has me! Oh no! That's the, that's the worst kind of like
1: <laughs> epitaph that. ever, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, oh... It, it, it's a
0: compliment of, like, oh, no, it's rubbish. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm dead now. Oh, my soul. Yeah. But that's quite common in Mococ, isn't it? It's like, yeah. ah, no, my soul.
1: <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing, isn't it? Any, any kind of, like, dying
0: sentences any fantasy books yeah. are generally a bit shit, aren't they? Yeah. Now the other veiled riders were warier, circling the albino at some distance while they determined their strategy. They had thought they would need none that all they must do was ride a young kingdom thief down and destroy him. There were five of the black riders left. They were calling on their fellow guild members for aid, but neither Managis nor Earl was ready to give orders to his own people, which could result in the unholy death they had already witnessed. Elric showed no such prudence. He rode directly at the next assassin, who parried with great cleverness and even struck under Elric's guard for a second before his arm was severed and he fell back in his saddle blood gouting from the stump. Another graceful movement, half Elric's, half his swords, and that man too had his soul drawn from him. Now the others fell back amongst the yellow and green robes of their brothers. There was panic in their eyes. They recognised sorcery, even if there was something more powerful than they had ever anticipated. So essentially they all crap the pants. Yeah. And yeah. think we don't want any Ooh. part of this. Yeah, Ooh, yep. an no, of no, no. We're, we're not doing this.
1: Oh, <laughs> Elsham scowled a little. I'm going to guess a little of your origins, Sir Thief. Tis said that the <laughs> lords of the bright emperor carried such blades as yours once, in a time before this time, in a time before history. Tis said those blades are living things, a race allied to your own. You have the luck of our long-lost enemies. Does this mean that Melnibone did not drown? Mm-hmm. I'll leave that for you to think on. Masreledaltion.
0: Yep, so the uh, the brother of the moth, the yellow sect of the sorcerer adventurers and, do. and the Glove sect all think discretion is the part, better part of valor, And they all piss off and leave him to it. <laughs> so Elric rides off pretty pleased with himself. <laughs> and it says he rides basically he rides off whistling <laughs> hopped up on the souls of the Black Moth Brotherhood. Yeah. He rides away whistling. Yeah. He he's he's on my right left, Yeah. So at night falls, he, he gets some kip, and, uh, and he has a dream, and he gets a nice, we, we get a, kind of a nice sort of recap or summation of where Elric is, of this position, not in this book, but kind of in his timeline. His dreams were formal and familiar. He was in Imria, the Dreaming City, and Simeril sat beside him as he lay back upon the ruby throne, contemplating his court. Yet this was not the court which the Emperors of Mel had kept for the thousands of years of their rule. This was a court to which had come men and women of all nations, from each of the young kingdoms, from Elwer and the Unbaptist, from Foom, from Quazisar even. Here, information and philosophies were exchanged, together with all manner of goods. This was a court whose energies were not devoted to maintaining itself unchanged change for eternity, but to every kind of new idea and lively, humane discussion, which welcomed fresh thought, not as a threat to its existence, but as a very necessity to its continued well-being, whose wealth was devoted to experimenting in the arts and sciences, to support those who were needy, to aid in thinkers and scholars. The Bright Empire's brightness would come no longer from the glow of putrefaction, but from the light of reason and goodwill. This was Alec's dream, more coherent now than it had ever been. This was his dream, and it was why he travelled the world, why he refused the power which was his, why he risked his life, his mind, his love, and everything else he valued, for he believed that there was no life worth living was not risked in pursuit of knowledge and justice. and This was why his fellow countrymen feared him. Justice was not obtained, he believed, by administration, but by experience. One must know what it was to suffer humiliation and powerlessness, at least to some degree, before one could entirely appreciate its effect. One must give up power if one was to achieve true justice. This was not the logic of empire, but it was the logic of one who truly loved the world and desired to see an age dawn when all people would be free to pursue their ambitions in dignity and self-respect. That's quite nice. That gives you kind of an idea that even though we've had this these passages where Elric is kind of world world weary, and you know quite self pitying to some degree when he's laid in his cot. This is like the idealistic Elric. This is Elric well, who wants yeah, a
1: new world. This one is not an antihero. Though isn't it? It's kind of because I think think with the the initial Elric books, he was very much an anti-hero, and it was almost like well, he's very evil, and and he's not, is he? He he never was anyway. But I think he's trying to put him in that. Yeah, it's a very idealistic view, isn't it? Mm. But basically, he he wants to rule. He wants to rule the world, Mm. basically, because it's an empire Mm. based on grooviness and possibly loon pants. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think he definitely wants to create It's that sixties thing, isn't it? Where people can come from all parts of the globe and contribute culture and beauty and goodness and art and,
1: and science. And, yeah. And science.
0: Yeah. And it's it's still quite arrogant and conceited, but at least it's noble and well
1: intentioned. Oh, of course it is. It's what everybody kind of would dream of, wouldn't they? Really? Yeah. If you you're in charge, you want to make it as great as possible. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, the irony, obviously, is, you know, we've all read the books, and sadly, that don't happen. Yeah, it not quite happen for him, does
0: no. it? Bless it. But it's all interrupted anyway, because he rolls on the wandering monster table. He does, And yeah. uh, a cat what, scorpion what demon thing, thing. Oh, yeah, that was it. Turns yeah. up, and he yeah, up. What's that a called? Um, I think it's the cat scorpion demon mm-hmm. thing. I can't remember if it's got a real name. Has it got a name?
1: No, I think he's probably right. Yeah. The Beast Screamed. Yeah. And and I, I do think... It, it, some some of it's really reductive. I think it it almost spoils some of the stories. So you've you've had like the comedy rats on legs, mm-hmm. fire beast, millions of assassins mm-hmm. piece. Do you really need like another fight with a random monster?
0: Well, it's it's just a device, isn't it? It does two things. One is it gives us an opportunity for what the fuck is
1: now? Oh, but. Crab, is it? Alnac Crab. Al- Alnac yeah.
0: So he could just wake up the next morning and go, oh, hello, Alnac crave. Yeah. Or we could have a, a moment of,
1: you know... Breakfast. Fantasy
0: yeah. novel fight action. Yeah. Where, you know, with the assistance of this mysterious adventurer who comes across, helps him defeat the demon, and he thrusts the sword into the demon, we get a little bit more information that actually absorbing the soul of a demon is really dangerous. Yeah. Even though it's kind of cast off pretty quickly. Yeah. He's like, oh no, this yeah. is bad. Uh, Forces don't bring her into the sheath so he doesn't kill this guy who's just helped him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not entirely
1: But you could have done that with the Fire
0: Beetles. but You could, it's true. Yeah. But ultimately we're we're still reading fantasy adventure fiction. Oh, um, it's alright, it's
1: alright. I just think um yeah, Helmet yeah. Krebs quite a Quite a cool character. He's a great character.
0: He had startlingly handsome features with dark, humorous eyes and his gleaming black flesh. On his short curly hair, he wore a skull cap decorated with peacock feathers and his jacket and breeches, not breeches, not breeks, breeches, seemed to be of black velvet stitched with gold thread, Over which was thrown a pale-coloured hooded cloak of the pattern, usually worn by desert peoples in these parts. He rode up slowly on the loping bovine mount, which had cloven hooves and a broad head, a massive hump over its shoulders like that of certain cattle Elric had seen in scrolls, depicting the southern continent. Sounds like a camel. Mm. At the young man's belt it was a richly carved stick of some kind with a crooked handle, about half his height, and on his other hip he wore a simple, flat-hilted sword. So we know from what we've seen previously that Alnet Kreb is a dream thief. Dream thief. Dream thief. Because they've already commented on Elric not having one of those, despite being apparently a dream thief. Yeah. But, nice fella. And, as luck would have it, he's headed for the Silver Oasis. Oh, is he? That's What handy. a coincidence.
1: The the other side of it is um, Velvet in the Desert. Huh? I don't know about you.
0: Well, you know what, sartorial elegance fans are aware, doesn't
1: it? It does, yeah. But, you know, Velvet Breaks. Yeah. Or oh, britches. Breaches. Br- br- Breaches, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I like Alnett Krebb. I think he's a really good character. And basically the first half of Chapter 4 is almost pure dialogue between Elric and his new travelling companion. Yes. The dream thief, Kreb.
1: And is this the kind of Elric trope of being completely confused about everything? Yeah. Pretty much, where yeah. he just goes... Yes, I'm one of the most learned men in the world. Oh, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I am.
0: Alnek Kreb, aka Basil Exposition. Yeah, exactly. Chapter four, in honor of Alnek Kreb, we have Origin of Darkness Imperial Stout with coffee, vanilla, just simply wafer, a wafer, and cocoa nibs, eleven percent by volume. The horror. And this small bottle. £12.95. Next one. Good God almighty. Shall I pour?
1: Yes, please. I... Uh, yeah, I call Nick. Everything's all right.
0: I've got to say to you, listeners. These are starting to smash my head in a bit. Yeah. But we're on the high scrape. We've broken its back. No. They all smell like this. I'm getting to the point where it's pointless even describing it. Yeah, but... Maybe it's my fault for buying the same type of ridiculous beer. This
1: guy's like this paraffin smell. I yeah. think you know what I mean, like yeah. the the old school paraffin. I'm getting. I'm getting rare Chocolate, chocolate.
0: That's a bit hard, considering we've swung back from sours.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's Emperor Ming from the planet of Ming, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> on it. Yeah, it's um, galloping towards. We are
0: definitely on uh, Mingo meantime. Yeah, I think with, we're uh, we're definitely galloping towards the Empire of Ming with what? that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this so the first half of this chapter is all dialogue and it is a bit bad exposition. But it's great.
1: I really like to, it weirdly. So when I read it, when when they get to the actual um the oasis, it's very much Glastonbury, I thought. Yeah. yeah. You you've got for me cuz you know we've, we've talked about um, young kingdoms kind of jobs stuff yeah. like that, you know, in the role playing game. Yeah. Well, I was reading through it. You've you've got comedians, yeah. jugglers, comedians.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah when, I mean, what, Once you get to the Oasis, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so you've got the Young Kingdoms comedians. Mm. What do you reckon that? What are they talking about?
0: Well, I think if um, if we ever get the chance to actually write, Stormbringer a seventh edition, yeah, then we need to sit down and do some proper hammering out
1: of of the comedian
0: of the, the, the com- c- comedian character yeah, yeah. class
1: yeah y- your skills making yeah. people laugh obviously yeah um,
0: skills comedy
1: yeah um physical comedy yeah which nobody finds funny yeah
0: yeah yeah that's yeah, fair it enough, good, isn't it?
1: but i think ultimately it can't be any worse than some of the characters we played in in your storm well that was all sailors was yeah it? exactly sailors in a, a leperous yeah, leper eighty
0: percent it sailor than a leper <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream of any any young it man's is, game it isn't. it's the dream yeah yeah yeah
1: so if mocock was rewriting it he'd be going ah oh, we need more lepers in there yeah
0: that 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 all that dialogue and they're discussing the nature of chaos how dream thieves tend to avoid chaos heavy realms the fear of the consequences which explains why they're largely unknown in the young kingdoms You get lots of decent rationalisation of why Mm. they've never kind of appeared in any of the other novels that he's written over the previous 30 odd years. Yeah. Even though this is only chronologically the second Elric novel, and why they never appear again until. Well,
1: they're just hiding. Yeah, they're they're all in Barnsley.
0: But I really like it. I think it's it's some of the most textured development of a part of the Young Kingdoms we've ever got in an Elric tale. Mm. And I think the whole of this. First book of the Fortress of the Pearl. That's true of it. Really feels like a. Uh, it feels more quasi-sharp and the surrounding area, despite being kind of off the beaten track of the Young Kingdoms, as it a result of this, is the most well developed. Oh, totally. Part yeah. Of the Young Kingdoms.
1: Yeah, you, you totally. I mean, quasi-sharp is as a as a city. It's really brilliantly described. Yeah. But also the culture of all the nomads and everything is, is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Kreb. Yeah. He's a really cool character. Yeah. Which makes it quite unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that <laughs> now, yeah. 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 So uh, the, the highs of Elric's soul-stealing are wearing off as well, and he's starting to feel the addiction of the elixir again. Mm. Um, but eventually conversation tends to the nature of the Fortress of the Pearl. Of course it does. And... Elric wonders if the silver oasis, silver oasis, or kasba Moola Kariz, may in fact be Tanelon, or is it, in fact, the fortress of the pearl? Nah. Which I think there's a little bit of wishful thinking on his yeah. part. That'd be a really short book. I, it. I think he's wanting to, you know, basically fast-track his way. Yeah. To, yeah. He's like, oh, the is the it the...
1: For- oh, no, it's not. Yeah. 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 You're
0: just in. It's scum, thought. Craig says, it's not Tanelon, for Tanelon is eternal. The kasba Moola Kariz must be maintained through constant vigilance. It's the antithesis of quasar and that city's lords have made many attempts to destroy it. Elric felt the pangs of craving, and he resisted reaching for one of his silver flasks. Is that also called the Fortress of the Pearl? At this, Alnac Kreb suddenly laughed. Oh, my good prince! Clearly you have only the haziest notion of the place and the thing you seek. Let me now say that the Fortress of the Pearl may well exist within that casper, and that the casper could also have an existence within the fortress but they are in no way the same. Please, Master Alanak, do not confuse me further. I pretended to know something of this, first because I wished to extend my own life, and then because I needed to purchase the life of another. I would be grateful for some illumination. Lord Gopharsie thought me a dream thief, after all, which supposes that a dream thief would know of the blood moon, the bronze tent, and the location of the place of the pearl. Aye, well, some dream thieves are better informed than others, and if a dream thief is required for this task, Prince... If, as you've told me, Quadrasat's sorcerer adventures cannot achieve it, then I would guess the Fortress of the Pearl is more than mere stones and mortar. It has to do with realms familiar only to a trained dream thief, but one probably more sophisticated than myself. Know you, Master Alnac, that I have already travelled to strange realms in pursuit of my various goals. I am not completely unsophisticated in such matters. These realms are denied to me lust. Alnac seemed reluctant to say more but Elric him. Well, are these realms? He stared ahead, straining his eyes to see more of the Kaspar Mulara Cariz, but failing, for the sun was now almost below the horizon. In the east? Beyond Elwar? Or in another part of the multiverse altogether? I'll not correctly regretful. We are sworn to speak as little as we can of our knowledge, save in the most crucial and specific of circumstances. But I should inform you that these realms are at once closer and more distant than Elwar. I promise you that I will not mystify you any more than I have done so already. And if I can illuminate you and help you in your quest, then I will do so. You made a laugh to lighten their mood. Best ready yourself for company, Prince. We will have a great deal of it by nightfall, if I'm not mistaken. Thanks, Alnat Kreb. Yeah. That's really fucking excellent well, advice. Really, re- really useful, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cheers, yeah. Cheers for that. Yeah. And then once they get there, they stumble on a um, funeral, don't they? Yeah. I um, do what?
0: You, the description that you referenced earlier on of the oasis, of the silver hmm. oasis, it's its its kind of vivid, it's lived in, it's got comedians, yeah, got it's got, comedians, got all that good yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah, you're right, they turn up and there's some kind of spooky, unusual funeral going on with an empty coffin. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out that it's a pre-funeral
1: it for someone yeah.
0: who, uh, who they have uh, very little respect for. Who could it be? Well, after getting into the music and, and getting emotionally involved in the whole scenario, they find that this is actually uh, a, a pre-funeral. It is. And they meet Raik Nassim, who seems like a straight enough dude, and he tells Alric and Kreb that the funeral was for the man yet to die that commissioned a bunch of quasi sorcerer adventurers, those buggers, to kidnap his daughter, who was kind of a mystical CRS She is a mystical
1: mystical girl. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In an attempt to find the place of the pearl. And they killed all these sorcerer adventurers, but his daughter is now in a mystical slumber. And they're keeping her in their safe place of meditation. Well, it's only the bronze bloody tent, isn't it? Oh, no. Is it? Surely not. Yeah. So when we draw our map of the scenario, which is basically box, one line to next box, one line to next box, the bronze tent.
1: But then we have the the Two paths which path are you going to go, so it's the Baradi clan, isn't it? Yes, so, so the right R- yeah, Baradin, and right Nassim it's his daughter. Um, and we find out that, um, the pre funeral is for uh, some wrongen, yeah. And it's it's not only Lord Go, is it? Oh. oh, is it?
0: Of course, it's Lord. Goh. Oh, what a lovely wrongen. Because he's the one who commissioned the Saucer adventurers. So we found earlier on that he'd sent numerous people in the past to try and find the place of the pearl. Yeah. And uh, on this occasion, he sent them to kidnap Viradian, the daughter of Ray's fuck's sake.
1: Ray Nassim.
0: That fella. Yep. (laughs) It's only him. Yeah. It's only that guy, Ray Nassim. And uh, yeah, it, it all went a bit badly. And one of them cast a spell and they killed him before they could reverse it. So now Varadine is in a slumber.
1: A sorcerer's slumber? A
0: sorcerous slumber. Where have
1: we heard that before?
0: Yeah. And Brooke, oh, of course. Yeah, Coon kept similar in a sorcerer's yeah, slumber, yeah. What's that all about? She's only a, a, a very young girl. And
1: do you reckon that's what might have spurred Elric to do
0: it? I think so. Yeah, I think there's definitely, definitely an element of that. So he needs to go to the bronze tent, weather keeping her. There's, again, some very, very, very nice prose. It says... When this was done, the other meal says, When this was done, the old man called for the fleet, steady mounts for which the Baradine were famous, and the three of them rode away from the silver flower oasis, which bustled with every kind of activity, where comedians, jugglers, and snake
1: charmers exactly
0: were already performing their skills. All the classics and storytellers had gathered groups of children, whose parents had sent them there while they were about their business and they rode towards the ragged pillars seen faintly on the morning horizon. These mountains had been eroded by the winds of the Sine Desert until they did indeed resemble huge columns of ragged red stone, as if they should have supported the roof of the sky itself. Elric had thought at first that he observed the ruins of some ancient city, but Alnak Kreb had told him the truth. There are indeed many ruins in these parts, farms, small villages, whole towns which the desert sometimes reveals, all engulfed by the sand summoned by the foolish wizards of Quasart. Many built here, even if the sands came, in the belief that they would disperse after a while. Forlorn dreams, I fear, like so many of the things built by men. Raik Nassim continued to lead them across the desert. They used no map or compass. Apparently he knew the way by habit and instinct alone. They stopped once at a spot where a tiny growth of cacti had been all but covered by the sand and here Raik Nasim took his long knife and sliced the plants close to their roots. Peeling them swiftly and handing the juicy parts to his friends. The was once a river here, he said, and a memory of it remains far below the surface. The cactus remembers. I life.
1: that. Yeah, and then you've got the kind of um, just talking about the um, the ragged pillars. It's yeah. like it's the nearest thing we have to a temple, and there we debate with our inner selves. It's, it's also the nearest thing we have to our religions of the West. Mm. And it is there we keep our oh, holy girl, the symbol of all our ideals, the vessel of our race's wisdom. Yeah. Nick was surprised. You keep her here always. Rake Nemesis shook his head almost amused. Don't know why she sleeps in this unnatural slumber, my friend. As you know before this, she was a normal little child. A joy to all who met her. Perhaps with your help she will be that child again. So it's not just like the keeper in a box and go, oh, it's a holy child, it'd be nice. It's yeah. just a kid. Yeah. Which is pretty cool, wasn't yeah.
0: it? Yeah, yeah. Elric's definitely got that sense of connection now with Alna Kreb
1: and Rynat, and, and he's
0: engaged. He's digging it. Isn't he's he? very much engaged. Yeah, the Breeks, mooring. Yeah, absolutely. The Breeks, the britches. Well, the Didn't flares. even need balloons. Yeah, it? and he, he gets even more engaged when he sees that the sun had set by the time they approached the great tent, which resembled those Elric had seen at the Silver Flower Oasis, but was several times the size. Its walls of pure bronze. Now the moon made its appearance in the sky, almost directly overhead. It seemed that the sun's rays reached for it, even as they began to sink beneath the horizon, touching it with their color, for it glowed with a richness Eric had never seen in Melniboné or the land of the Young Kingdoms. He gasped in surprise, realizing the specific nature of the prophecy. A blood moon had risen over the Bronze Sent. Here he would find the path to the fortress of the Pearl. No. Though it meant that his long life might now be saved, the Prince of Melnibonet discovered that he was only disturbed by this revelation.
1: Why, though? Why is he disturbed? I don't know. Why would because you?
0: Because he's a he's, he's mangy twat, probably. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Luckily, Chapter 5. The
0: dream thing, the Pledge. Oh, God. The Pledge. We're slacking off here. Oh, salute Jeebus and all the baby angels. Yeah. Fortunately, the one we've got lined up for Chapter 5, or will be a match for Chapter 5. Although i got two bottles, one each. I think we should just share this one bottle.
1: Yeah. And then drink something nice.
0: And then drink something nice, because I think we'll have earned it. Yeah. Right, I'm going to go for a... A Wazza.
1: A John Tosha. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so our final, our final beer match for chapter five is DCLXVI. I'm sure that means something in Roman numerals, but I'm it do, two drunks figure it out. Barrel aged smoked Russian Imperial Stout, twelve percent, eight ninety five for a three hundred and thirty ml bottle. dollars five. Eight ninety five. All right. So before we get into what is actually quite quite a sad chapter actually. It is a very such... Which a... I got quite emotional about yeah. one point. With the tears? Not quite, but I did get quite... A... Elric gets quite emotional about some. He does,
1: yeah. He does, but... And the
0: fate of Alnak Kreb. Because I'm a long-term Mococ fan and I've always bought into the Eternal Champion thing and the Companion thing. Of course you are. That little line before he passes um, I thought was quite beautiful. But anyway... Yeah. We need to earn that emotional. We do, yeah. By drinking
1: this It smells very much. uh,
0: Doesn't smell much.
1: Dog food.
0: Old ashtrays. Yeah,
1: that's a good one. Yeah. Leather jackets. Yeah. It smells
0: like an old John Player special ashtray.
1: Or a leather jacket. Or a leather jacket. A leather jacket that's been worn in the seventies while somebody's smoking JPS. Yeah.
0: Did you ever smoke JPS?
1: No, but our drummer Dean smoked JPS. Yeah. He was the only person I've ever seen.
0: I had one brief session with GPS, yeah. where um, I thought the packet's cool. Therefore, do you have a Capri?
1: Cool.
0: I didn't have a Capri, although yeah. I did occasionally borrow my mate Mike Palmer's Capri while smoking. GPS. So it was around about the same time <laughs> that I used to borrow his Capri, and um, it was a horrendous car to drive because if you it? To set off too quickly from lights and you were turning right or left, you would you could do a three sixty really in, the, in the traffic <laughs> was it that really bad? really easily. Yeah, yeah. but. I I I smoked John Play Special for about a week and I had one night and I used to knock about with a kid called James who I worked with at the hospital. And we used to go in the bull on Beverly Road and get shit first. Mm. And I had one night where we drank far too much in the bull and I smoked far too many JPS and I had curry sauce and chips and I threw it all up down his toilet and I could never smell a JPS again without feeling sick.
1: Absolutely. It was, like I think as a kid, if you uh, saw the JPS kind of design you'd be yeah. like oh it's black it's yeah. gold yeah that's fucking great it's like, and they had it on a formula one car yeah you? cool yeah if you got a capri which yeah. is but bo- because one of my one of the guys i went to school with he had um his mom had a black capri yeah. with with gold stripes nice. so that's possibly the greatest car ever at yeah, really like the time it. yeah and and she didn't smoke she probably did in yeah. my head she did yeah. jps out the window yeah beautiful
0: yeah that that fascination with the JPS livery yeah. remains because when Stu and Sarah and Phil and I were in Markham last year, there's a fantastic little craft. Sorry, you just tried it. In yeah, East, so i have got to go for it. Then yeah. I'll tell you my JPS. Yeah, go, yeah, okay, that's fucking foul. Yeah, anyway, oh, foul. I, yeah, <laughs> lot of, lot of foul's bare. Just less rapey. Yeah. So we went to this place, and it's it's absolutely a fantastic place run by a guy in his sixties who was ex-area, and it's a little. Just a little micro pub. Mm. And there's all all kinds of tat in there that's for sale. So we were in there every day the entire time we were in there. And we kept looking. Stu was looking at an ashtray. And I was looking at a whiskey water jug. Yeah. Black with a JPS gold logo on it. And the last day we were there, Stu surprised me and said I bought these. So I have a JPS water jug for my whiskey. And Stu has a JPS ashtray. Excellent. Wonderful. But anyway... That beer is absolutely terrible.
1: How did we get into JPS? I forgot.
0: Um, uh, I don't
1: know. Yeah. Excellent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, Amazing. Let's move on, shall yeah, we? Yes, let's. So, the Gale of Radian is in a slumber, eyes wide open. And Elric gets quite emotional about this, reflects on Melanie Bonnet's history of conflict with Quasisharts.
1: Probably reminds him of Simmeril. To yeah, be fair.
0: definitely reminds him of Simmeril. And uh, and her eyes blue as the wonderful Vilmerian sea. Yeah. That's probably the most expo- That's probably the most development Vilmer has ever had. Yeah, the fact that the sea is nice and blue.
1: It's like the uh, blue stone of Galveston, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. She has eyes as blue as the blue stone, stone of Galveston. Of
0: Galveston. Which, which I've been assured is very blue indeed. <laughs> Have you
1: seen it? No. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've been assured it's very, very blue indeed.
1: Lord Percy should be in most Mocock. Yeah, he should really. Yeah, be. as yeah. the sidekick. Yeah, he, sh-
0: he should be in Mocock, as should The Secret of Pure Green.
1: Yeah, <laughs> totally. In... Can it
0: be true <laughs> that I hold in my hand the secret pure green?
1: Yeah, and they've got that, and they know where it goes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what was the torture called?
0: Uh, the one ploppy son of ploppy was it? <laughs> no, no, I mean the Elric book. Oh, um, Doctor Jest. Yeah, Percy can see Doctor Jest. Yeah. To be fair, I think Doctor Jeff just had his name changed by Deed poll yeah. I think I think he was really ploppy son of ploppy. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, my people believe that Quasimart destroyed herself forever. Said Elric was that they had, or that Mel Mel Nibane had shown less arrogance in completing what their wizard began. He rarely betrayed such ferocious emotions towards those his race had defeated, but now he knew only loathing for Lord Gur, whose men, he was sure, had done this terrible thing. He recognized the nature of sorcery, for it was not unlike that he had learned himself, though his cousin Yacoon, had shown more interest in those specific arts, and cared to practice them, where Elric did not. So yeah, He's making that connection as well between Lord Goh and Yacoon, his hated cousin. Even though he doesn't really hate Yacoon at this point.
1: It's a bit ambivalent, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, you, you, tried to, you, you booted me into the sea. Yeah. I'm all right with that. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, I was quite
0: annoyed about that, but... You know, yeah, I'm I'll let it go. It. It. Yeah. You, uh, you forced us into a shadow realm where I had to... Climb through a giant vulva to battle you yeah. with a uh, rune sword. Yeah. But I won. I won. Yeah. So I'll put you on the And throne.
1: then, you know, I could have actually had you executed, but I thought I'll just go and we gap you. Yeah. You You seem to be a stand up guy. Yeah. You'd you be in charge. Yeah. I'm uh, sure you've learned your lessons. Yeah. Your cousin, who you seem to be lust after, him, yeah. my missus, yeah. yeah, should be all right with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. A bit
1: of an idiot. Yeah, he's a nobbin, isn't he? A
0: bit of an idiot, he? Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't think it through. He is smart enough to make the connection that the path to the pearl, the great MacGuffin, yeah. is wrapped up in the dream that Viradian is trapped in. Because after all, the blood moon appeared above the bronze tent and the orange master pointed into the magenta ashtray.
1: I'm, I'm not convinced. Yeah? Huh? I'm not convinced why, why it's connected, really. Yeah. Seems a bit tenuous.
0: It is a little bit tenuous. Yeah. But like Gore said, all this shit will happen and all this shit has happened. Yeah, I'll go with it, obviously. I'm not going to argue, but, you know. Raik Nassim indicates that he sent for a dream thief. and As we know, Kreb has been a little bit puzzled because he felt he was there for different reasons, but he kind of rises to the occasion.
1: Yeah, Kreb's a bit of a shit dream thief, isn't he? He is. And
0: and he, he did acknowledge himself earlier on that it maybe would require a Green Thief with more skills than him. Yeah, yeah. But Raik Nassim is kind of putting quite a bit of pressure on him. Say, so, I sent for a Green Thief, yeah, here. here you are. But,
1: but it's also his son, isn't it? He? he talks to him as his son. Yeah, and that's like a customary thing, Yeah, and he, right? he talks about Elric as being his son. Yeah. He kind of embraces them both, which is cool.
0: Yeah. But despite Krebs' lack of confidence that he has the level of skill required... He goes in, doesn't he? He steps up. And Elric is sufficiently bought into this entire thing that Elric says that he will, he pledges to guard Viridian and the Dream Thief whilst he does it. Yeah. Doesn't really go that well for him. No, sadly. He's
1: he's let himself down, hasn't he?
0: Yeah. So he withers up to a terrible husk. He does. His eyes turn black and his blue eyes are transferred to the girl. Yeah. And he's calling out and going, ah, oh no, she is killing me, Hmm. etc. And then, eventually, I think he's dying. But suddenly, his flesh is restored. He wakes up for a split second. They have a sense of relief. But then he vomits his own guts up.
1: Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah,
0: man. which um, isn't very pleasant. So, it didn't really go well for him. And in his final realisation of his fate, he relates to Elric as an incarnation of the eternal champion. And it's actually really, really beautifully handled. Mm. And he says something along the lines of, Alas, I am not fated, Sir Champion, to be your companion on this occasion. Yeah. And he dies. In many ways, it's Mocock kind of eating his own tail. Mm. Mocock is like the, the worm Arubarus in Arthur <laughs> yeah. that he, he constantly revolves around and eats his own tail, but it really, really works if you're a fan of the material.
1: Yeah, you're too right. I think... And he would have been a really good kind of companion if you th- think yeah. about like Elric's companions. Rose is is obviously really cool in the next book. Yeah, uh, but then who do we get?
0: Well, so I'm I'm in the midst of my emotional reaction, yeah. and after his, after he's passed, a woman enters the bronze tenant and announces herself. Yeah. Well, wow. it was a young woman, but she was not of the Baradine. She entered the tent slowly and there were tears in her eyes as she stared down at Alnac Krebs' ruined body. I am too late then. Her musical voice was full of the most intense sorrow. She reached her hand to her face. He should not have attempted such a task. They told me of the silver flower oasis that you would come here. Why could you have not waited a little longer, just a day more? It was with great effort that she controlled her grief and Elric felt a sudden obscure kinship with her. She took another step towards the body. She was an inch or so shorter than Elric with a heart-shaped face framed by thick brown hair. Slender and well-muscled, she wore a padded jerkin, slashed to show its red silk lining. She had soft velvet breeches, embroidered felt riding boots, and over this an almost transparent cotton dust coat pushed back from her shoulders. At her belt was a sword, while cradled above her left shoulder was a hooked staff of golden ebony, a more elaborate version of the one which lay on the carpet behind Alnac's corpse. I taught him all he knew of this craft," she said. "But it was not enough for this. How could he ever have thought that it would be? He could never have achieved such a goal. He had not the character for it." She turned away, brushing her face. When she looked back, her tears had gone, and she stared directly back into Alex's hands. "I am Una," she said. She bowed briefly to Raik Nasim. "I am the Dream Thief you sent for."
1: "What a twist!" "Oh my God! It's oh, only Una."
0: End of book one. Yeah. And of course, we should probably point out that as, as Mocock continues to eat his own tale, Una, Una person. Mm. Mm.
1: And also in later books, the mother of.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, of course. Uh, many, many, many books down the line. We have the Dream Thief's Daughter. Yes, built. we do. Uh... Uh, the, the Moonbeam Roads trilogy. That's end of book one.
1: It is. Brilliant. What were
0: our takeaways from book one of The Fortress of the Pearl?
1: I liked it a lot. I didn't like the let's lob a random monster in. Yep. No need for it. The prose is is enough to carry it through. Yep. I think the, the Dream Thief stuff adds a bit of mythology to the Young Kingdoms yep. stuff.
0: Yeah, I think the introduction of the Dream Thief concept is... Is really elegant, and using Kreb uh, as like a doomed companion is quite impactful and ties it into that kind of broader. I don't just think that was a bit sad. I think he he, he was a, he,
1: he would have been a good companion, and especially when you read on, you know, he, he would have been a better one than some of the people. And the... I think, well, obviously, Mocha, when he was writing it, it was like. Yeah, it's a shit dream thief. Is Una. Yeah. Who is going to rock it?
0: My, my main takeaways are that, despite our misgivings about how his character is, I like Lord Go. He's a great villain. He's a massive twat. Yeah. Moocock's style and this is less headlong and energetic, but it is... It's better, I think. ...rich and yeah. absorbing. Okay, notwithstanding your reservations about, you know, the the monster stuff in Chapter 3, I quite like that. Yeah. And, you know ties it into, you know, Elric's stories, is basically being, it's still in its heart, hope, adventure.
1: Yeah, but I think it, I think it's more, it's a, it's a more modern take on fantasy. Yes,
0: yes. But I, I still appreciate the fact that there's nothing like a good ruckus in my fantasy. The, I do dig a bit of ruckus.
1: Yeah, I get that. I just think it's... There's so much ruckus. You get. Just, just all of the. Um, it's kind only of one
0: chapter out of five. Yeah,
1: just, just the whole cult thing was a bit. Do we need it?
0: Oh, I, I liked it. I thought it was funny. It was quite Mervyn Peak. All that stuff. It?
1: Yeah, well, probably Quasiter was a lot Mervyn Peak esque, mm-hmm. wasn't it? With yeah. the
0: I just, I just, I just really love the concept of these different sects who are all inbred. Who um, are all related to each other so therefore can't actually fight each other so all i can really do is maneuver yeah and when they're actually presented with a checkmate which is someone just being really violent their entire approach falls to pieces
1: yeah and you've also got the fact that they're just ultimately useless because they're the commanding nothing yeah yeah it's just like a- the purpose of nothing where you've just got I'm in charge yeah. right, of of all of this. Yeah. What, the curtains? Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> the it's that curtains. <laughs> well, it was stupid to build it on a swamp. Get sunk. Yeah. Built it again. Yeah. yeah, that kind of stuff, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Is it's, just, it's just that.
0: Well you know what, I think the main takeaway though is I was not expecting to enjoy this because of my memories of it. But actually, I really enjoyed it and I took a lot away from it.
1: Gone into book two. Yeah. I'm saying nothing, but okay. I'm wearing my um, slightly cynical hat on, if you uh, will. You yeah, know, you uh, The cynical hat
0: of Pat Ferry. Yeah,
1: the the steps of Pat Ferry. <laughs> uh, the, the disappointing Fez of Pat Ferry. That kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I, well, I'm wearing the optimistic loon. <laughs> Riches of <laughs> of jazz. <Jeff. laughs>
1: no, I, I, To be honest, it, it's what I remember. It so I remember, for for me, the beginning was ace, yeah. the end was ace, yeah. the middle was a bit. Yeah. But...
0: Well, it looks like we're just going to have to learn that ending, yeah. Then, doesn't it by going through the pain <laughs> yeah. of book two? But you know what? We I might think... we might Ooh. find something wonderful. We could embedded in there. I hope so, <laughs> so far. Is this the one that has the off moon in it?
1: Not that I know so far. Right, That might be Revenge of the Rose, I can't remember. Oh, will right. come back. It's the equivalent of our multiverse games where somebody goes through a gate and goes, hooray, we're in the...
0: Yeah, which ironically, when I took over right. your game and you all went through a cave and went, hooray, I said, oh, look, it's the off moon. And this is why I was thinking, is this the one with the off in is that where I got that nonsense from?
1: No, I don't think it was. What was the one with um, Mrs House in it?
0: I think Mrs House is in the Moonbeam Road. Strip.
1: Yeah, it probably is, yeah. So I think in in my head, it might have been Revenge of the Rose. Revenge of the Rose had the, um, yeah.
0: yeah, we'll you go know through it. I, I think the Imperial... Barrel edge, smokes, Russian stout at twelve percent might have defeated us. Yeah, it might have kicked to our teeth in. And... Yeah. So, so at this point, the best thing to do is say thank you, Loz, for joining yeah. me in Darian Tom's to do terrible beer matching with chapters one to five. Nothing not to. the Fortress of the Pell. And we will reconvene at a future point to look at book two. Wearing our best breeches.
1: Yeah. Velvet breeches, velvet breeches,
0: or breeks, or breeks. Well, we can decide at the time. Yeah, either, either way, we'll... they're going to be velvet. Yeah, yeah. cool. Thanks, as ever, to lords for coming back for more and joining me in Derry and Tom's. We'll get back to the Fortress of the Pale soon, and see if our memories of all the dream thieving shenanigans remain sound, or if we severely misjudge this book in our salad days. Since the last show, the extremely smart Saga Press edition of the second volume of the Alric Saga, Stormbringer, has finally landed. And, as with volume one, it's a truly gorgeous book, so thanks again to Joe and co over at Saga Press for doing such a fantastic job. As this has been a pretty lengthy show, I'm going to crack on now and thank our patrons. It continues to humble me that we are worthy of your support. So first up our Chaos Engineers, Andrew Sicluna, Andrew Van Ness, Anthony Porter, Ben Fletcher, Dave Washman, Fred Kiesch, Jim Kirkland, John Laes, Jules Lawrence, Mal Pertwee, Matt Saltz, Menion, Nelbert, Paul McRandall, Simon Perrins, Tony Milazzo and, new in the bunks on the Don Blass, Dave Griffiths. Thanks for the support Dave. Frankly, I'm amazed and honoured that my terrible nonsense on Thursday nights didn't put you off listening to this show, but thanks for all the great games, and I hope you, and indeed Clarkie, spot a couple of inspirations as the journal unfolds. And thanks to our Jugaderos, Alexander Harris, Craig Ledley, Dave Dalrymple, Ian Stead, Laws, Taylor, Matthew Broom, Steve Round, Toby White, and Tom Murphy, and to our patron demons. Clarkith Cruel, Gareth Wilson, Graham Holden, Imria, Joe Paul Hillary, Liam Jones, Miles Reed-Lobato, thanks Miles, Mort Mayne, Neil Burton, Randall Gatlin, Robert McMillan, Janie Stimmer, brand new patron demon Andy Darby, author of Me and the Monkey, more to come on that in a future show, and of course the OG patron Norman. Norman, we all wish you the very best with your treatment, we love you and we hope to get that in-person ring a conclusion in this year when we can toast your progress. And finally to those Patrons without a tear, Sebastian Weetabix, Tim Cardos, Anthony Piconti, and Dave Dempster, Dave may the Hand of Rill and especially the Eye of Quim aid your recovery. Thanks again everybody for all of your support. So that just about concludes my waffle for this show, stay tuned after the transition for chapter 11 of the Journal, and don't forget that you can yak with us on Twitter on the handle at Breakfast Ruins. You can email us at Breakfast at Outlook.com. The website is BreakfastInTheRuins.com. We have our Patreon page too, and that has some extras. But until next time, take care, stay safe, and I'll see you soon on the Moonbeam Roads. <coughs> The Journal of Gerard Arthur Connolly Chapter 11 Indomitable Waking only fleetingly to occasionally eat more of the musty pastries that Brainer appeared to restock whenever I exhausted them, and to drink tangy water from a flask, I slept for three or four days while my ankle recuperated. I dreamed constantly, vividly, the emotions and racket feelings associated with the baffling scenarios persisting in my waking mind. They were recurring and thematic, no matter my height, or shape, or age, or the world in which I dwelled, always the sensation of loss, and I often dreamed of her. Old, unconcluded love is like an ache. It oppressed me for many years. Whenever I trod the hallway to the Colticholl social and saw her picture amongst the Gallery of the Lost, I would limit myself, quite deliberately, to only a glance. But even that merest of reminders of her features, which would not fade from my memory as such, but just lose definition, made a pressure build behind my eyes and forehead, that would persist until at least the third or fourth Benedictine. That maudlin sense of disappointment and deprivation felt like those times when our occasional meets failed for one reason or another, and I would stand on wet cobbles outside a restaurant, and almost cry with frustration. Our final tryst, before she disembarked for the ongoing Maghreb policing action, was at the Shaftesbury Hotel in Morecambe. We dined early, before drinking with abandon at the Tivoli Bar. A local skiffle group, fronted by a suave West Indian called Maurice, pumped crackling energy into the gaps between the cumuli of hanging smoke, and ensured that the frisson of violence that always accompanied the patrons remained an undercurrent, at least until the proprietor's half-hearted call for last orders later in the night. We danced with vigour. I was elated. Even through a thick issue nylons, her supple calves inflamed my passions and empowered me in the face of hungry, covetous, dog-like stares emanating from a group of Hersham garrison squaddies. As we whirled through the hanging smoke of a hundred cheap imported petras, we laughed breathlessly. That was the last time I'd danced. The following morning I walked down the promenade towards the towering mooring mast at Hersham. We spoke little. Her vessel, the hood class aircruiser, indomitable, hung imperiously over the coastline ahead and supply trucks rumbled by carrying supplies, munitions and chattering crew, snatches of songs and laughter leaving fading trails of optimism and camaraderie as the only fleeting evidence of their passage. Velocipedes rattled by, riders ringing their bells furiously to part the pedestrians along the prom. I tried to tell her something but I didn't have the words. She sensed it and gently gripped my arm. Don't walk me to the gates. It will feel final somehow. I'll see you for a Negroni in May." She smiled slightly, turned, and walked briskly away, joining the now ubiquitous flood of uniforms and workers headed to the Haitian moorings. I'd never taken to Negroni's, having harboured a strong dislike for bitter Italian aperitifs for much longer than I'd known her, and this had rankled in a way that feels petty, even now, but I couldn't shake the black dog of dismay. With 36 hours of leave remaining before I took the trains back to Norwich, I lost myself in the familiar Markham fog, of cheap spirits, high-tar cigarettes and the obscure treasures of the Warren-like old peer bookshop. By the time I boarded my first train, the old melancholia had returned with Elan and not even a breakfast mug of tonic wine in the dining car could mark it. On that day, TMAS Indomitable and her escorts were ambushed and downed, lost with all hands by a flotilla under the command of the Canadian Airship. Collective grief nebula. The independent states' rather ostentatious naming conventions for their warcraft had been established by the designer Banks, the traitorous Scottish aeronautical engineer. I learned of the disaster from the evening edition of the Doncaster Bugle whilst laying over during a blackout later the same day. I spent the night on a waiting room bench, wrapped in my gabardine mac. A kindly station master had handed out mitten warmers, small tin cases with an ember from his firing case within. It did little to keep out the late February chill, but it was a comfort of sorts as I numbly tried to cry. Tears didn't come, but fitful sleep did. On that night, I dreamed that I was an aging stand-up comic, with a pathetically dated shtick, desperately trying to survive a surprisingly violent variety club scene. I fled to the sun only for the world to end. Weird, but not the weirdest I'd had. Reflecting in subsequent years on my myriad failures, I have long since accepted that I was not entirely the wrong match for her, but rather, she was waiting for something better. It was those feelings, and the associated almost but not quite tears, that often accompanied them, that weighed upon me when I woke on the fourth day. Enough was enough, and my muscles were stiff with inactivity. I shook myself awake, and forced the unwelcome emotions back into the tight black ball of bile around my diaphragm, where they belonged, and reached for my boots. Brainer entered the small chamber. You're awake, good. We have tarried here overlong. She took a deep swig from an ornate flask I'd hitherto not seen, and sat with a huff on the stool by the brazier, before pulling out a small pipe and packing it from an intricately decorated leather pouch. Lighting it deftly, with what I could only perceive to be the rubbing together of two heavily calloused fingertips, she drew deeply on it before leaning back with a sigh exhaling a steady stream of pungently scented smoke. Seeing my interest, or surprise, as outside of Issa Khan compound during a brief mooring in the Kush in 73, I'd honestly never seen a woman smoke a pipe at close quarters. She offered me the pouch. I declined, preferring to ignite my last emergency fag. She shrugged, a look on her face like an assumption had been disappointingly confirmed. Once I'd removed it from its .55-inch Boys cartridge case and sparked up, the stench of the filterless senior service cigarette reached her, prompting a wrinkled nose and an expression of abject disgust. I fiddled with the brass cylinder, attempting to look interested in its contents to conceal an involuntary blush of shame. The Boys round was used to penetrate armored cupolas at range, but once empty of grains, the long voluminous cartridge was perfect for storing string, sewing needles, and various other bits and bobs safely, and more importantly keeping backup tabs intact in hostile conditions. I could only cough ostentatiously and try to suppress the sensation that my status as a discerning gentleman of taste meant nothing here. I also had to acknowledge to myself that my smoke smelled foul and rather sour in contrast with the sweet, heady leaf the brainer was evidently accustomed to. Knowing that it was my last, I winced inwardly before bravely stubbing the cigarette out and throwing the remains into the fire. My emergency fan case, now empty save for a scrap of coffee-stained paper noting the combination number for my locker back aboard the Victoria Imperatrix, went back in my hip pocket. She stood and gathered her belongings, swinging them onto her back as she took a last drag and then tapped the embers of her bowl into the dying brazier. She turned and exited, leaving me to grab my coat and limp after her. Surprisingly, my leg held up rather well considering. This place, I said, as I caught her up and then struggled to pass a question. What is it? Is there any civilization or power here? It can't just be swamp and beasties and umsker. She halted by the wharf. The defeated abomination from the swamp was suspended on the crane hook. Sections of its flesh and blubber had been sliced off for rendering. I suppressed a reflux of bile. You do not know of him, she replied, a little puzzled perhaps. Who? The Baker on the rocks. He was once a denizen of this place, this realm, I think. But it exists only by his will now. The baker on the rocks. Curiouser and curiouser, exclaimed a child in the back of my mind. The days I'd spent in the old Velocipede warehouse had reinforced my sense that this place was all darkness and fog, but now I realised that my eyes were creased and squinting in the daylight. Granted, it wasn't exactly a summer's day, but I could see for several hundred yards into a haze above the swampland that had previously encompassed this rail yard and warehouse. Some roofs still poked above the morass and the reeds here and there, Further away, I spotted the source of the high, soft lights I'd seen on my arrival before my second encounter with the thing. Constructions of wood and rope stood high above the swamp. As Brainer sliced more flesh from the crane hung corpse and wrapped it in greasy brown paper from her pack, I watched an intriguing process. People, too distant to make out in more detail, climbed poles around 50 further feet above the height of the rickety platforms and floated small paper balloons heated from within for lift like old prayer kites in eastern monasteries. They would be gently obscured as they rose into a low layer of cloud, or denser mist, before plummeting in flames a few seconds later. This seemed a strange and baffling ritual until, after seven or eight attempts, one fell with something, a creature entangled in the fine wire frame of the balloon kite to the obvious delight of the whooping people below, who descended upon it and beat it with paddles before throwing it in a sack. They were fishing men, just upwards. Another reminder, if one was needed, that I was no longer in Kansas. Brainer interrupted my musing. Come along, if you're coming. With that, she strode boldly into the reeds, staying handily aloft thanks to the mud-obscured sleepers of the old railway line. Wondering precisely where we may be going, but only to myself, I pulled and straightened my jacket, now a bit tattered sadly, and hobbled after that extraordinary figure.